podcast this week. It's the greatest comeback since Lazarus as we speak to the star of everything, everywhere, all at once, Ki-Hui Kwan. Plus, we speak to two of the stars of the greatest comeback since Ki-Hui Kwan, Kids in the Hall stars, Bruce McCullough and Scott Thompson. All that plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that would quite like FA Cup final and Champions League final tickets, please. Is this unethical to ask for this in the intro to a podcast? I mean, ineffectual, probably, but... We shall see, Helen. We (laughs) shall see. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to this week's Empire Podcast. We are back in our beloved, grey, depressing pod booth. And this week I'm joined by my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. You've already heard her speak. Helen O'Hara, our geek queen, is here. Hello. Great big fucking nerd, James Dyer, is here. Greetings. And the thinking man's George Harrison. Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. John Nugent Um. is here. I mean, what? thinking Did, men like George Harrison, think, don't they? I think I, thinking men do like George Harrison, don't they? I'm, I mean, I'm not a Beatle. I'm a thinking maniac, man. But, but I don't understand this reference. George the, Harrison George is a Harrison. Beatle. Oh, this, I'm familiar with that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and the, John looks a bit like George Harrison. <laughs> George Harrison knew my dad. That's actually true. No way. Really? Absolutely true. Yeah. Mm. He knew him. He knew him. In in the biblical sense? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> how, how how did he know him? My dad was in a band that the Beatles kind of like shepherded. Like they, 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 it, was, it was called The Grapefruit. And my dad was, my dad joined this band. Like he was a founding member of the band. He joined this band. And he spent some time with George Harrison. He fondly recalled. Siri's calling out my bullshit. Is Siri Uh, Irish? uh, Is your Siri Irish? My Siri is Irish. Yes, that's right. Does she make you feel like you're Tony Stark talking to Friday? Yeah, a little bit. bit. I have Irish Siri. That's absolutely true. Wow, that's amazing. But uh, yeah, Siri doesn't believe me, but it's fine. It's true. All right. We're going to get straight into the listener question. No preamble this week, folks. Uh, And the listener question comes from, I don't remember. Uh, Because uh, the question this week is about... The greatest movie scenes set in stadiums or stadia can be anything you want it to be. It could be a football stadium, it can be a cricket stadium, it can be a basketball stadium, a baseball stadium, a tennis stadium, an American football stadium, or just a stadium that is housing a rock concert. For example, mm. um, the Live Aid section in the otherwise awful Bohemian Rhapsody where Queen take to the stage and do, do their set. That That's cool. a good one, right? That was good, yeah. Okay, so we're not, we're not answering the question yet because I'm trying to explain where this question came from. Uh, one of my Twitter followers, whose name I can't remember, right. asked this question of me incessantly. And it became a kind of performance art for me to kind of say, I'm not answering that question. And this week when we were looking for a question, it popped back into my head unbidden. But also I wanted to do something around stadia and football stadiums because quite frankly, and I cannot emphasize this (laughs) enough, I would like a ticket to either the FA Cup final or the Champions League final in which my beloved Liverpool Football Club are participating. So the FA Cup final is on Saturday, uh, 14th of May as you listen to this. And the Champions League final is on the 28th of May as you listen to this and that is in Paris. And listen, if... Anything I have done has touched you in any way, shape, or form. Don't and I don't touch, mean I don't mean in a in a sexy yeah. way. Show us on the doll. Definitely not you. on the in a sexy way. <laughs> we don't want that. But if if anything I've done over the last 10, 15, however many years I've worked here has touched your heart, whether it's as a a writer of some note and uh, no little talent, or, or as a podcaster, uh, unsurpassed. Wow. In modesty, unsurpassed in <laughs> unsurpassed modesty. Unsurpassed in modesty. Then, and and you have the capability 
of getting your hands on one or two tickets, preferably in the Liverpool end or the neutral sections. I will not sit with Chelsea fans. Uh, and you can get me these tickets for either the FA Cup final or the Champions League final. Then I think it would do us all good. The spiritual nourishment would be would I have be a better great. idea. Don't go. Watch it on the TV. No, I think I mean, yes. that if someone listening has access to tickets, they should instead... Give them to you? Give them to me <laughs> for the lols. Just for the lols so that I can just do like Instagram reels and post stuff on my stories of me at the thing sitting in the... What, what were the teams playing? <laughs> Supporting the team that isn't Liverpool. Supporting the other ones. Times. I don't know. Yeah. The, the Blues, whoever they are. Is it the Blues? It's Chelsea. Is it Chelsea? It's Chelsea, right, for them. Or in the neutral area, which I guess is the Switzerland part of the stadium, whatever you like. <laughs> and is then, there a uh, neutral zone in a... Is that a thing? Uh, who knows? But I, I think that would be... That would, that would be I almost would, as good that. as having two tickets and sending Chris, but on the condition he takes me and has to explain everything. As I, I, I would, I'll, I'll volunteer. I will volunteer as tribute to do that. <laughs> if, wow. that if, if that's what I need to do to go to either the FA Cup final... Uh, or the Champions League final, twenty eighth of May. I will. I will provide my own uh, transport and accommodation. Don't worry. And listen, this is also not me being I like wasn't. really unethical here. I'm not asking for a freebie. Wink. Uh, what I'm doing is, what? if you can give me these tickets, I will pay for them. I will pay for the tickets. Oh, you'll pay. Oh, you'll absolutely yeah, especially, pay. Especially with Jim going. <laughs> What's happened? Why is why is the where's the Jurgen Klopp please man? Please explain to me. What is this cup thing? That why do they have together? to switch ends at halftime? <laughs> Anyway, that's why I wanted it's to ask. It's one of the Infinity Cups, James. <laughs> no, oh, see, now I'm yes. there for that. And, and if at what Klopp point three of them. do people oh, from the God. future manifest in the middle of the game? Like, Because that's the bit that I'm waiting for, for Chris Pratt to I turn up. I bet Chris Pratt can get fucking tickets <laughs> to the FA Cup final. I bet he can, because he's Chris Pratt. Of course, he wasn't in the stadium scene in that movie. I did, well, I did wonder if someone would point that out. Yes. Whereas I am just a Pratt called Chris, and I would like hey. tickets for the FA Cup final, the Champions League finalist, not too much to ask. We, we it have, is literally too much to ask. We have been coming in your ears now for the last 10 years and it's you know I'm just I'm on my knees asking you nicely you motherfuckers <laughs> give me some fucking tickets right okay well, I'm glad you got that off your chest yes anyway that so the question happening. this week is about the greatest movie moments that happen in Stadia and it comes from someone who I can't remember and they probably no longer follow me or indeed listen to the show <laughs> certainly but you. this is for them so just so I'm clear we're we're coming up with things purely for your own ulterior motives this is no no no, no John what... now we're at the entertaining listeners part of the oh, show right um, yeah. okay. that was just... the craven appeal I know you've not been <laughs> on the pod for a while John but it's... <laughs> <laughs> I've got a question yes okay what what is the name of the MCU movie in which Batman. Dave Bautista fights terrorists in a football stadium? Oh, that is, that's a very good question. It's Final Score. That's it. Final Score it. is the MCU spin-off where Drax yeah. uh, is temporarily relocated to, uh, I shit you not, West Ham United's former stadium, <laughs> Upton Park, for a, a, a loose remake, if you will, of another very good answer for this question, Jean-Claude Van Damme's Sudden, sudden death. Imp- yeah. Mm-hmm. This is Excellent. Under- I mean, film. It's a sudden impact. It, it, yes. No, no, that's a very different <laughs> film. That's a, that's a Dirty Harry <laughs> yes, film. Uh, but Dirty Harry is another good answer for this because <laughs> oh in the original Dirty Harry movie, uh, Dirty Harry pursues the bad guy, the uh, not the Zodiac killer, but the Scorpio killer, played by Andrew Robinson, and he uh, tracks him to a baseball stadium, I want to say, in San Francisco, and basically kicks the living shit out of him. And there's an amazing shot which pulls back from the the floodlit arena, and you just basically see Harry wailing on this guy. Doesn't Jean Claude Van Damme wail on the mascot in Sudden Death? 
Uh, I believe he does. And yeah. sadly, the mascot is not a whale, so he can't whale on a whale. But I can't remember. It's a penguin or a something penguin. like that? Yeah. Mm. That's uh, justified. So sudden death's a good, a good answer. But you're right. Final score is another good one because it's actually shot. They shot quite a lot of it at Upton Park, which was... West Ham United's ground and it's no longer their ground I think it's flats or something now but uh, they've moved to mm. the City of London Stadium which is in Stratford Please but, continue to tell us facts No, I'm going to tell you amazing facts because uh, in this terrorists take over a West Ham United game Terrorists um, from? Terrorists from uh, West London? Why is it an Jizik? MCU movie? Because they're from Sokovia no, they're not. That's, why do you think I called it an MCU? It's literally an MCU movie because he name checks Sokovia in the film, which means it's canon. Really? No. Yes. That's not what that means. It is. Helen, it's part of the MCU because they're from Sokovia. No. It's true. This no. is 100% true. I'm not making this up. I might be making this. I'm not making this up. <laughs> Siri, am I making this up? I'm not making this up. It's true. I you think you're talking bollocks. What's it called? Final score. <laughs> Final score. I mean, he Sokovia. doesn't look... Much like Drax in that film, I don't remember him. He's obviously in disguise. He's oh a variant. Disguise. He's a variant. He's a variant. Okay, okay. Is Dracula a Drax variant? Draxula. Draxula. But the point I want to make about Final Score. Have you guys ever seen it? Yeah, I yes. saw it once. Sakovia. Yeah. You it's idiot. It's spelled completely different. S A K O V Y A. No, Helen. Well, how do you know? Because it's written down here. Your man's away with it, boss. <laughs> <laughs> He's fucking gone to Lally. <laughs> What's going weird, on? Weird as Siri said that. It's got very personal about you. <laughs> Why is this happening? He's a drooly maniac. It's <laughs> weird. Uh, what what, what in, voice Siri voice final, do you have? Uh, I have... Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it's a woman. It's a woman's right. voice. The posh, posh, the posh English, woman. English yeah, woman. Posh English okay. woman. Fair enough. In final score, Dave Bautista's final score, the, the terrorists movie, take over score. the... Why are we talking this much about this film? Anyway, because it's the, it's the best one. It's absolutely um, not, The ahead. terrorists take over the West Ham Stadium, presumably under the illusion that people will be watching. It's a West Ham game, so right, it's okay. unlikely. But anyway, and they brutally kill the um, TV anchor and the pundit. And the pundit is Tony Cotty, who's a real former West Ham player. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how not interesting I'm finding pretty much all of what you just said. <laughs> all right, then. You must all have right been inter- interested in the Sokovia part, surely. Yeah, I did. I was interested there we to, go. to correct you. Yeah, you went Dave Batista, you went, ooh, yeah. and you went yeah. Sokovia, ooh, and then uh, you, can give, you can correct us even better. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was fun. Uh, but the correct answer is, of course, Gladiator. That is the correct answer, isn't it? Welcome to New it's World. It's a good answer. I've got some monsters. It's a good, it's a good I mean, I, you know, like, we'll, I'll, give, I'll give it up for Ben-Hur as well, which is a pretty good stadium. But um, but Gladiator, when he cuts the guy's head off with the two swords and it's all like, are you not entertained? Mm. I was entertained. Yeah. That's pretty what, good. What is good the answer. criteria though? Are we going by best stadium or best thing that happens in the stadium? I mean, look, if we're going by best stadium, then I would say that the Colosseum in Rome Coliseum's and the Circus Maximus are pretty hard to beat. Mm, Although yeah. it wouldn't have been the Circus Maximus, of course, he was mostly in Jerusalem. Anyway, my you, point you is... You never see Maximus' Circus at any point in the film. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but, but, you know, that, that should count for something. That's a pretty good one. All right, yeah, I'll grant you that dilapidated old building in, in Rome. Yeah. Okay, but, okay can, I, can I just say it's not dilapidated, it's deconstructed. The, the Colosseum has not what, fallen down. What, like a cheesecake? Yes, the Colosseum did not fall down. It was mined for parts to build those stupid Baroque churches. Now, I will be here all day defending, <laughs> defending Gothic churches, but... Baroque churches can fuck off. So that is why, that is genuinely, what? genuinely why the Colosseum is not still in one piece. It is Beyonce because Beyonce is not playing the Colosseum, let's be absolutely clear. Um, I mean, not, well, she probably has played a Colosseum, but not that one. Not that one. That I know of. Okay. She's got such range. She yeah. can play anything. Uh, so, uh, 
something like the Colosseum features in Rome. They go oh, no, to... Oh, no, no, that's the south of France. That's the south of France. Mm, some old building. like yeah. the Colosseum. What well, color no, is the boathouse? Okay, I'm confused. There's only one... Here, food. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one Colosseum. The others are just arenas. Oh, yeah, like, there's only one Colosseum. <laughs> I mean, there is. There's only one Colosseum. It was actually named after a, a Colossus, a statue that used to stand outside the Colosseum. So it's not the name of the arena. It's Colossus. Of, Colossus. Yeah, which was a giant organic steel statue. That used also, to stand. what Maximus calls his penis. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you would think it would show under the skirt. Anyway, um, are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> Blimey, it's a lot to crow about. Uh, but in Ronan, there is another stadium. There is, yeah. there is another stadium. It's uh, in X, I think. It's where Neem, they go to. It's an ice skating rink. They go to an ice skating rink, and if you remember, Katarina Witt, the real Katarina Fit, sorry, uh, the great German uh, figure dancer is doing her figure dancey thing and she gets, um, you know, shot and stuff. Wow. So that's a good moment. Enrico Palazzo. Enrico Palazzo. I have naked girl miles I, as that well. That was, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo! <laughs> the last 20 minutes of the naked gun. Then the last 20 yeah. minutes of the naked yeah. gun are a pretty great answer. I mean, it, it's, it's the answer, isn't it? Well, I'm really surprised that the last boy scout hasn't come up yet. I mean, Actually, do you know what? I, that was on my list. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that was on my list. Uh, you know what else was on my list? And not surprised it's not on yours, Chris, of course. The, I, uh, you haven't seen my list. That's true, but I'm assuming the arena scene from five-star film Attack of the Clones is not on your list. Well, that's an arena, not a stadium. Whoa, hang on, whoa, hang whoa, on, whoa, whoa. hang on, hang on. Hang on. What is the difference? I don't know. I was just trying to get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Is an arena indoors? No, you can have an arena outdoors. No, because then none of the Roman arenas would count. Uh, okay. Hey Siri, what's the difference between a stadium and an arena? I don't fucking know, boss. Let me out of this phone. The best modern definition of an arena is an indoor venue that typically holds less than 40,000. Indoor. There you go. Indoor holds less or fewer than, come on Siri, 40,000 spectators. More than 40,000 spectators. Jesus, this bald fella has imprisoned me in the phone. <laughs> Let me out, I had a promising career. <laughs> we've, right. le- we've all learned something here tonight. All, yeah, we, all, we really have. Not very much, though. No. Listen, this has been helpful and I think um, insightful. And people will come away from this, uh, improved as people. There are surely many more that if there we had thought about this oh, yeah, or done have, any research have, of any kind, um, we might have come have up. Where do they go at the end of Creed? Is it Goodison Park? Oh. Oh, no. oh, you know oh, he wasn't going to mention that. Oh, John. Is, John. That, is that bad? That's, that's oh, Everton, John. right? That's, that's, the, bad that's the bad one. The bad oh, no, but we like the Blues. I no, support you Everton. You like the Blues. They're my team. Principle. Yeah, only to piss Chris Sure, sure. So, but I'm just saying my love for Everton is, is pure and true. I don't know. Fair, there's what no a, Everton in the film. I mean, well, you see, you see, I think you see their, their flag because Sylvester Stallone, for reasons that I don't really understand, professes to be an Everton fan. So uh, when he was looking for somewhere to stage the climax of his movie about a crumbling edifice that's seen better days, he thought, well, we're better than Goodison Park. And um, that's how that happened. Wow. Nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, speaking of crumbling edifices, The Dark Knight Rises. I thought yeah. you were going to oh, go for the Baroque churches again. Lovely voice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, but they were Bane. Bane collapses the field of a stadium while the game is in motion, which is quite a cool and awful image. Yeah, you know, for the poor footballers who are on it, they have to go to VAR for that one. Mm. That's for sure. Uh, that is a good one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The aforementioned materialising from the future in the middle of the game film, the name of which I've instantly forgotten. The tomorrow, tomorrow War. That's war. the one. Yes. Mm. Who can forget the Tomorrow War? More like the Yesterday War by now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Pretty mm. much. Mm. <laughs> 
there is a there is a film. I think it's from 1951. It's called the Arsenal Stadium Mystery, and it's about oh. a murder. At, but where uh, does that happen? Murder, murder, murder <laughs> at the Arsenal Stadium, I oh, believe. Okay. Uh, which is uh, which was back then uh, Highbury, uh, which is now also flat. Hmm. Yeah. Anything else? I mean, it's yep. it's Naked Gun, isn't it? But Naked Gun for the most sustained yes. stadium osity. I mean, th- that or Ben Hur. I-, I will put. I will shout out to the Chariot Race, which does, is pretty amazing. Is it? It's 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 pretty it's pretty good. Pretty freaking it, amazing. Does it have a sequence where uh, the Queen is? sitting in a row of people and someone pa- starts passing along hot dogs and drinks and so she has to pass them along as well. Uh, does it have that? I mean, it does have like Pontius Pilate starting the race and right. stuff. It does have a bit where uh, one chariot has to kind of vault over the remains of another chariot and Charlton Heston gets flung out of his chariot onto the you know the bit that holds the horses and then has to climb back mm-hmm. into the chariot bit. You know, it's got a bit with like a spinny knife on a wheel cutting off bits of other chariots and stuff okay. and making them like go, whoo, Yeah, it's good. Does it have it's, a bit where O.J. Simpson tumbles down the stairs uh, in a wheelchair and then <laughs> hits, uh, hits a step no, and then no, catapults? No, it, it, does, it does miss out there. I will 20 feet into the but air. there is a bit where all the horses like in perfect line just like parade around the stadium. It's very soothing to watch. Yeah, but does it have a bit where a an umpire uh, clears the plate by hoovering it? <laughs> No, that's true. It's just slaves with rakes, yeah. which isn't nearly as fun. Um, I would also uh, shout out a quick mention to Any Given Sunday for like I the like entire Any film. Given Sunday, yeah. yes. And A League of Their Own, which is some great mm. scenes. Also that, stadium. another great film. Yeah. What about Wildcats, the Goldie Horn film from the 80s? <gasps> that's a good one. I remember that. I like Wildcats That's a good one. Uh, speaking of films called Sunday, there's the uh, 1977 thriller Black Sunday, in which a sniper threatens the... Uh, crowd at I think this is Super Bowl. Is that based on the Thomas Harris book? I believe it is. Yes, mm. oh. it's John Frankenheimer who also of course directed some films. Oh my god! The French Connection is Ronan. Oh, oh, oh yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not one of the great films, but very stadium based. Billy Lynn's ha- long halftime walk. Billy Lynn, what's the what's the I'm saying it's very... No, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said, not a great film, but one of the most stadium-based films. That is inarguable. Undeniable. There is a stadium in it. It is all in the stadium. You're all in the stadium. I mean, I'm literally not. You can see me. (laughs) Unless This this is technically an arena, Helen. (laughs) Unless this this building used to be, you know, the Chelsea Stadium or something. No, this building used to be condemned. (laughs) By the Fatigan, I think, (laughs) nonetheless. Uh, but now here we are. Uh, okay, any more for any more, real quick? I mean, obviously this is not comprehensive. We're not exhaustive. <laughs> no shit. We're exhausting, we're exhausting, but we're not comprehensive. Yeah. Um, uh, turning red and a turning red. Oh, good, oh, good, yes. good shout. Good shout. Sky yes. Dome in Toronto, and there's like a kaiju panda. I mean, if we're going to now open it up, and in, in fairness, I also mentioned Bohemian Rhapsody at the beginning. If we're going to open it up to to rock, uh, to popular rock music concerts, and that that's probably almost even an, another question slash answer session in itself, isn't it? Do you think maybe down the line mm, could be? Could yeah. Be, yeah, I think we have missed out. Salute of the Jugger. Have we though? Yes. No, no love for Salute of the Jugger. What's it called? What's its actual name? In I want to say, was it Salute of the Jugger here? And it's called. You're looking at me blankly, like you don't know what this film no, is. I, you know, this is a Rugger Hour film. You know the one. Of course, I know what it is. Yeah, of course you know. What's well, what's? Oh, I've got I to look it up now. I wasn't aware. No, why don't you ask your Irish Siri? <laughs> okay, I'm going to do it. Hey Siri, what is the other name for Salute of the Jugger? I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. 
Leave me alone. That was actually the response. I have, I have a husband and children. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Right. The Blood of Heroes. That's it, The Blood of Heroes. <laughs> I've never heard that the before. The Blood really? of Heroes is the alternate title for Salute of the Jugger. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Absolutely true. There you go. So I think we've, we've, we've run the gap because boxing obviously brings in Raging Bull and Rocky and the other ones. Oh, but those are, many of those, I mean, Creed is an exception, but many of those are genuinely arenas. Like they are mm. indoor arenas with a maximum With fewer capacity. than 40,000 people, there yes. There you go. Yeah. You see, whereas like the Colosseum in Rome, as we all know, had way more than 40,000. Not so much now, though. Snake eyes. You can still fit in quite eyes. a lot of people. Can you? Mm. Mm. They don't even have a floor. You don't have a floor. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of ones that, uh, wow, these comebacks are amazing. Uh, <laughs> a bit like Ki Huey Kwan and uh, Scott Thompson and Bruce McCullough. This week's guests. Lovely hey. segue there, Helen. Oh, uh, that's good. I like oh, that. that. That was very yeah. good. Uh, listen, because there's loads and loads and loads and loads and loads that we could do. And there are ones that are stadium based that you could really get into. The 51st State, the Sam Jackson, mm. uh, Robert Carlyle movie, which actually has scenes. Uh, set nominally at Anfield, which is the home of Liverpool FC, but I don't believe they ever actually shot there. Uh, or maybe they did, I can't quite remember. But there's uh, there's bits and pieces all over the shop. But uh, listen, it, again, it's not meant to be exhaustive, it's not meant to be comprehensive. I'm sure you've been shouting at your podcast device of choice, going, you idiots, why haven't you mentioned this one? Do let us know. Maybe we'll get to them next time. And if you are the person who asked for this question, you know, let me know who you are. Uh, and this question is dedicated to you, sir. Should we have a guest? Sure. sure. Do you want, which comeback story do you want? Do you want Kihiwe Kwan? Yes. Star yes. of Everything Everywhere yes. All at Once? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, we like him. We do. We do. He's a legend. He is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, is an, uh, an actor who, as a child, starred in two very, very important movies for, I think, everybody. And John obviously was, was far too young. But everybody in this room. No time for uh, love, Dr. Jones. He was short round mm. in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And then he was Data in Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> no, he, was, he, was, he was Data in The Goonies. Ki Hui Kwan uh, stopped acting and couldn't get roles there were no good roles for for asian actors especially you know young asian actor like himself uh which is obviously shocking and unforgivable and mm-hmm. speaks uh, a lot to the absence of such roles in hollywood over the years uh and he went down a different path and he went down a different path uh, still ended up in the in the film industry working behind the scenes with people like Wong Kar Wai and uh, became a fight coordinator yeah. uh, with Corey Ewan uh, on some uh, amazing movies as well including I believe the first X-Men so he he kept his hand in but acting was not for him anymore or so he thought and then a few, a few years ago he's now 50 a couple of years ago he decided well listen I'll let him tell it uh, but he is the star this week alongside Michelle Yeoh uh, of the sensational mm-hmm. everything, everywhere, all at once. If you see only one film set in the multiverse this week, make it this one. Shots fired! Shots Sh- fired! Shots fired. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think they could take it. <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, I had the great pleasure of speaking to him on Zoom last night. Lovely, lovely fella. He has quite a story to tell. So here he is telling it. Ki Hui Kwan. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, the wonderful Ki Hui Kwan. How are you, sir? I'm doing really well, Chris. Uh, thank you for having me. This is uh, it, it's un- unbelievable. Ever since the movie came out, um, it's, it's been a roller coaster ride, as they say. Uh, yes, it has. Uh, you know, um, I, 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 I've been very emotional uh, for the last two months. In fact, I think I've cried more so in the last two months than I've cried in the last twenty years. 
<laughs> uh, just just watching and reading the audience reaction to our movie, uh, and then the also the the embrace of my return to the screen uh, has been really heartwarming. It, it, yeah, there's there's a lot of love out there. There's a lot of love out there for the movie because the movie is astonishing. There's a lot of love out there for you. And were you aware of 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 that depth of feeling? I mean, you you've got these two iconic roles in your in your childhood. Um, and you, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of, of how beloved Short Round and Data are. But even so, has this taken you by surprise? This sort of outpouring of of love that now that you're back acting again? Oh, absolutely! In fact, I was quite nervous uh, right before our movie uh, came out. Uh, you know, I, I, yes, you know, I, I was very lucky and fortunate to be in a couple of really iconic movies. You know, Indiana Jones and, and Goonies, and, and and they're really beloved by by you know, audiences all around, all around the world. But, you know, that was 38 years ago. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and, and the last time the audience saw me up on the screen, I was a little kid. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm returning back to my roots as a middle-aged man. And I just didn't know, you know, how they would respond. Um, so, I, yes, I was very, very nervous. Um, uh, but I knew we had a really good movie. I was very proud of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, but yeah, this was, you know, this, I, I, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to everybody who has supported our movie and then also for, you know, sending and, and writing all those wonderful comments. I, they're so generous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an incredible film and it's an incredible performance. Uh, I often like to ask, uh, uh, actors about their first day on set. And this movie, as you say, is your, your big comeback after nearly four decades away. Uh, what was your first day like? Was it a busy day or was it an easy day? Well, it, to me, it was a big day because um, uh, we were shooting in an IRS building uh, in front of Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, cubicle, her character, Deirdre Book Deirdre. Uh, and here I am sitting in front of her, a legendary actress. Behind me was Michelle Yeoh. To my left was James Hong. <laughs> I mean, you know, all legendary actors. And I'm sitting there, I'm doing this, this very first shot, and I'm freaking out. And I'm so nervous. My, 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 my hands are sweating. Uh, and after it was done, uh, I walked up to the Daniels, uh, and I said, hey, hey, Daniels, um, how was my performance? Uh, is it good? Is there anything you want me to change? I was so nervous. Because uh, I thought they were incredible. I mean, Jamie was, you know, she's practically unrecognizable in that wig, in that outfit of hers. And she was so good. She brought so much into that character. And it was funny as heck. Uh, and Michelle, of course, you know, always great. And James Hong. And, uh, and the Daniel said, no, no, you know, you're good. You're okay. Yeah. Uh, and then let's move on to the next shot. And it was like that for a couple of days. And I was still nervous. Uh, and then uh, the, that first week, I, I finished one shot and Jamie Lee Curtis is always by the monitors watching when she's not filming. She okay. never goes into a trailer. She's always on set, sitting in front of the monitors and just soaking everything in and just watching. Uh, and I finished that shot and she came up to me and she says, Key, that was freaking incredible. And she gave me a big hug, brought tears to my eyes. And it meant so much to me getting that praise from this multi-award winning actress who's been in the business yeah. consistently for the last four decades. 
Uh, and, uh, and, and yeah, and it, it meant so much to me. I walked, I walked on set the next day with total confidence and that's how I finished the movie. Amazing. Amazing. And, and did you get the sense we were talking about how fans have reacted to you and how interviewers have reacted to you, you know, making this, this, uh, this comeback for want of a better word. Uh, but on set, did you feel that as well? You know, even amongst your peers, even amongst, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis and, and Michelle and James Hong and, and, and the Daniels, were they uh, were they gobsmacked that you were coming back that you were acting again? Did you get questions from them going, w- w- "Where have you been?" Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Jamie was surprised that I, ha- I, you know, that I hasn't acted in more than you know twenty uh, something years. Yeah. Uh, and then some of the crew members were very sweet. Uh, the first day when I walked on set, they had a Goonies T shirt on. <laughs> Uh, and it was, and, and it was, you know, our crew is amazing. It was, it was kind of like their, you know, uh, uh, gesture of welcoming me back to the set. In fact, the very first time I walked in front of the, in front of the camera, all those wonderful memories I had as a kid uh, on the set with Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, and Harrison Ford came rushing back in. Uh, and, and for, you know, for that brief moment, I go, wow. Wow, this is a strange feeling. It, it's you know, it's kind of like deja vu, uh, and I took it in, and I I realized that this is where I I belong. This is where I want to be, and and I was happy. I I, I smiled uh, because I'm finally I'm finally getting to do something that I always love, uh, but needed to uh, needed to step away because there was just not a lot of opportunities for an Asian actor at that time. I didn't want that. I didn't want that break. Uh, but it was a break that I had to take. Did you dip your toe back into the water periodically as, as time went on? Did you, did you now and again, maybe every few years or so, see what roles were out there? Because as you say, there, there, there weren't a lot of roles uh, over the last... No, no. When I decided to step away, that you was it. Away. Yeah. Uh, I, I, went to, I went to film school, uh, graduated and started working behind the camera and, uh, and, and, and didn't look back. I think, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a pleasant... Uh, uh, decision for me. So I guess for decades, I kind of lied to myself. I kind of buried that, that, you know, that passion I had for this craft. I buried it. I didn't want it to, I didn't want myself to be, uh, to be miserable. So I kind of lied to myself and say that I didn't like acting. Uh, and even though all these years I was working behind the camera, I was, I was content doing that. I was having a lot of fun. Uh, but something was missing. I, and I didn't, honestly, I didn't know what it was hmm. until I stepped in front of the camera again. And that missing piece finally came together. Uh, and I realized that, oh, this is what it was. One of the, the, the good side effects of taking such an extended break is that it means that the, the list of directors you've worked with is, is fairly short. And on that list are some of the greatest directors of all time. So <laughs> you've got Steven Spielberg, you've got Dick Donner, and you can also add to that now the Daniels, who are incredible. Uh, having now worked with them, you know, how would you, how would you, would you put them up there and on that pantheon with, with Dick Donner and, and Spielberg? Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. In fact, one day I was joking with them. I was having dinner with them and uh, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't get a job anywhere else. And I said, well, you know, only, Nobody wants me. Nobody wants me. Only Spielberg, Lucas, 
Wong Kawai and the Daniels want me. Yes. <laughs> Nobody else want me. But you know what? If, if that's the case, if those are the names that, 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 that I only work with, I'm fine with it because uh, the, the Daniels are amazing. They're amazing human beings. Uh, they wrote this incredible script and made this incredible movie. They are, my gosh, they're so young and so talented and so gifted. Uh, so for them to really gave me this opportunity to play this once in a lifetime role, Wayman. Yeah. Uh, I am I am grateful to them. Just as I was, you know, I, I've always been grateful to Lucas and Spielberg for giving me my first job, introduced me to this wonderful world of movie making. Uh, and now, you know, I'm grateful to, to the Daniels for, you know, for allowing me to uh, to do something I always want, you know, I always loved. And and you you say that it, this is a gift of a role, Waymond. Uh, actually, it's a gift of roles because <laughs> you play. You play, well, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that you play multiple versions of of Waymond, uh, often in the same body, often in the same scene. And we like to talk on the podcast about some of the great acting transitions, some of the great body language transitions in acting. Uh, Chris Reeve as Clark Kent, yeah, you know changing into Superman and just changing his body language, the way he stands, and he's suddenly he's Superman. And you do the same thing here in this movie with Waymond. Uh, so you go from this adorable, kind of sad sack guy to suddenly this very, very badass, prepossessed action hero in the same shot. How the hell do you pull that off? What sort of prep do you do to pull that off? <laughs> Well, first of all, I, I think I, I don't think I, I I could have done this role had it been given to me ten or twelve or fifteen years ago. Okay. Uh it's kind of weird. I, I feel like uh, this role happened because everything in my life had to happen in the order it did. For example, you know, me working with Koi Yuan and understanding yeah. what goes into making an action sequence. Uh, having worked with Wong Kar Wai and spent many years behind the camera watching what Tony Learn, you know, did in front of the camera. Um, and, and honestly, we, when we were talking about uh, the different versions of Wayman, uh, uh, I had a great meeting with Daniels. And it was from the beginning, it was important to me that the audience is able to distinguish the different versions yeah. just by how they, you know, how, how they stand and how they walk and how they move. Uh, uh, regardless of, you know, you know, what the dialogue was. And so to prepare myself, I hired a acting coach, a dialogue coach, a voice coach. And the most interesting of all was my body movement coach. Okay. Uh, who, you know, who, who coached me on how to move differently. And his technique was called the Alexander technique, which he would pick different animals to represent the different versions of Wayman. For example, you know, the Alpha Wayman, he would pick an eagle. Uh, for the CEO Wayman in the movie star universe, he picked a fox. And for the Wayman in this universe, he picked a squirrel. And my homework was I would watch countless videos of nothing but squirrels on YouTube. And I was also required to print out pictures of different looking squirrels. And I would hang them up on my wall. As, as, you know, as I was training to get into this character. And, uh, and the process really step, it starts with me in his theater. I'm on fours, 
moving and walk um, and walking and crawling around like a squirrel. And then I would slowly transform into a hundred percent Wayman. And that was my process. And it was I and I, it was it was instrumental for me to to really get into that headspace mentally uh and 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 yeah and 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 you know help myself get you know to have moved differently for these different versions of Wayman. It's a hell of a thing. It really is. Um uh Interesting enough, you may not remember this. In fact, you probably won't. Um, but we've met before, uh, on the day that Empire reunited the cast of the Goonies and Steven Spielberg but in LA in 20, 2009. I was the guy hosting the video aspect of that. I was, you know, I, I, I talked to you for the video uh, that we shot on that day. Um, and I just wanted to ask you about that. You know, did, did that in a way you were, you know, it, rekindle a desire to, to get back into acting and even back then just being around the guys and around Steven Spielberg and Dick Donner and, and the rest of the cast? I, I don't think I, I, I allowed myself. I remember that, that reunion very well. Mm. Um, you know, um, it, it, it was where Steven Spielberg was shooting Tintin. Yes. And we all got together at a stage with Dick Donner and the seven of us. Uh, and, it, you know, first it was wonderful to see everybody uh, together again that day. Uh, it was it was a long time since then that we all got together and, and had a really you know a really in person reunion. Uh, in fact, you know we did it again a couple of times over you know during the pandemic. But when I saw them, I mean, I was very, I was very proud of my fellow Goonies. You know, I'm, I'm good friends with them, uh, and, and and also to see what Josh has done with his career is incredible. Um, and but I don't think I allowed myself to to at that time at least uh, to. To even start thinking about acting because I, I I thought it was over for me. Uh, I didn't think there were opportunities for me mm. uh, to to do this. And you know, and, and it's what you even when I decided to get back into acting, you have to understand actors faces a lot of rejections. Yeah, you know, and you have to go and audition again and again and again, and you get rejected again and then again. Now. When you're in your late teens and early 20s, you can do that because you got the entire future ahead of you. You, you know, you're ambitious. You want to try everything. But when I was talking to my wife about getting back to acting, one of the first things that she said to me was, are you prepared to be rejected again and again? And I paused and I didn't know how to answer. And we had this conversation, not one time, not two times, but for the entire year. Before I decided to get back into acting, and I was like, you know, I, 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 I told myself, you have to be ready, and you have to, really, you have to be ready that people are not going to accept you, because it's been more than, it's, it's decades. Yeah. Uh, and, and when I finally decide, and I call my agent friend, and I ask him, I said, do you want to represent me? Because this is after decades without an agent. And, he, and when he says yes, I was so happy. And... I was expecting not to hear from him for six months or even a year. And little did I know that two weeks later, after he said yes, after our lunch, two weeks later, he calls me and says, Key, there is this movie that stars Michelle Yeoh called Everything Everywhere All at Once. And it's written and directed by the Daniels. And there may be a character for you, and he's one of the leads. Now, you have no idea what that means to an Asian actor. Uh, we just don't get that. Yeah. 
a lead character? Are you kidding? I mean, that's why the first thought when I heard about this project was, there's no way I'm going to get this. There's no way. I didn't even, I didn't even think seriously about this movie. Uh, but I didn't want to upset my agent and, and not go audition. So I said, yeah, sure, why not? And then when the Daniels found out that I was going into audition, they sent the script over. And they asked me to watch the first movie, Swiss Army Man. I saw it, fell in love with it, sat down and, and, and to begin reading the script. I laughed so hard and I cried so hard. Mm. I woke up my wife in the middle of the night. And, and by the time she came out, I had tears streaming down my face. And she said, what's wrong? And I said, I think this role is written for me. Uh, and the next day, I went in and auditioned for the Daniels. Uh, and then auditioned for them again for the second time. Uh, walked out, saw another Asian man waiting in the lobby who was, who was better looking, taller, dressed much better. Uh, he looked like he walked out of a GQ magazine. I went home, called my agent, and I said, I'm not going to get it. There's no way. Because that's what happened when, 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 like many, many, many years ago, I would audition and I would, I would, I would not hear anything. I would get, I, you know, very often was, oh, they went with somebody else. And this is after Indiana Jones. This is after the Goonies. Uh, so when I got that call and they told me that I got the role, it was the happiest call I ever gotten. I was so thrilled. That's amazing. That is amazing, yeah, and I and I felt like and I felt like I won the lottery, and in a lot of ways I did. Uh, well, Key, it's a it's a phenomenal story, and I'm I'm, I'm so glad that you are back, and I, I'd love to talk to you uh, longer, but I have to let you go, sadly. <laughs> so, but... Oh wow, we, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I yeah. This this is, it, it's been really fun, uh, and and uh, and sometimes you know talking about it, I think that's what we need to do is just keep talking about it until yeah. because uh, 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 so people. The audience can understand when you see a movie like this, like everything, everywhere, all at one, mm. it is so special. It's so rare. Uh, uh, and, but to have really the audience is. embrace our movie right now is really special uh, because a movie like this really deserves to be supported uh, in the movie theater. Go watch it, please. Um, and, and I hope you guys all love the movie just as much as we love making it. Uh, Key, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for leaving your time. Chris, yeah, and, and, and yes, I, 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 do, I remember now. I remember, and, and hopefully I'll see you guys in London soon. Take care, sir. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, so that was Key Hui Kwan, and uh, we will be discussing everything, everywhere, all at once in great detail in this and all other universes later on in the show in the reviews section. But first, it is time to delve deep into this week's movie news. Is there any? Well, I've got something I wanted to mention. So I brought this up on this week's Pilot TV podcast because it's a TV-related news story and I was shot down because I did not judge my audience correctly and they were having absolutely none of it because I think I took it to a sort of an nth degree of nerddom that Boyd and Beth were unprepared to access. So <laughs> what I want to say to you is we've talked a little bit about Ms. Marvel and Kamala Khan and her powers in the TV show. Mm -hmm and how they diverge from the comic iteration, the inhuman iteration of Ms. Marvel. Uh, and, you know, some people are pro it. I myself am pro it. Some mm -hmm. people are against it. But 
Kevin Feige has spoken about this now. He's gone on the record about it and confirmed that they have diverged from the Bendy Stretcher Rooney model, model of Miss Marvel. And he was saying, you know, that that comes from a very specific point in time in the comics. Uh, and this comes from a very specific point in time in the MCU. And they felt that they needed to iterate to evolve that character to make her fit in slightly better. Yeah, he told me that. Uh, was it you? Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, this, these are Empire quotes, right? Oh, that's You're, good. Yeah. Well, then it all comes full circle, doesn't it? I remember I, I read all this. I thought it was fascinating. I didn't write down where I got it from. I read it in our own magazine. So this is good. <laughs> well, so Kevin Feige told Empire Magazine. Is it, was it Empire? M, M, Empire? Empire, M, yes. M, Empire uh, Magazine. He- Helen, Helen O'Hara. O'Hara. He told Helen O'Hara and Empire Magazine all these things. And I, I found that really interesting. Yes, it was fascinating. Um, so, so it does confirm that, at least as far as we know right now, she is not an inhuman. It will relate more to her family and heritage, the, the origin of her powers, and it will tie in more with what's going on in the MCU. But what was interesting to me was um, not just that he said that, but also like... Kamala Khan's super fan, Iman Vellani, who plays the character, was also like, yeah, no, it it totally works. And uh, although she was very funny about it, she was like, I, she could shoot sausages out of her fingers and I wouldn't care as long as it sort of I mean, that literally happens in everything everywhere all at once. It but, does, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, so, um, so I, yeah, it, it just, it sounds, they, they were saying the right things, you yeah. know? I know they often do, but they were saying the right things. They were kind of putting my mind at rest in terms of the fact that this will still be the character we know, even if the power, the origin and the way mm. the powers work is slightly different. No one needs Terrigen Mists in this. Like, I just think it, it, it adds a layer of complication. Also, I just think, and I've said this before, and this is the reason why I'm not excited about Fantastic Four, I think those Bendy Stretcheroonie powers will look fucking stupid on screen. There you go, I've said it. I don't think they have to, but I think this could look well look cooler. This so, will look cooler. So I'm yeah. very, I'm a bit very cosmic. That. Yeah. Mm. So obviously for more on that, pick up the new issue of Empire, which we will be discussing, which is out. Oh, fuck it, let's do it now. Yeah, so this, uh, the new issue of Empire, which is out today Sorry, as we... Re- M- Empire? Empire, Empire. Empire. Right, okay, uh, which is out now, uh, today as we record this, yesterday as you're listening, or before, I don't know, um, <laughs> <laughs> or is, our, is our massive summer preview issue, and we have a full uh, feature on Ms. Marvel. I talked to Bisha K. Ali, who's the, the head writer. I talked to Sana Amarath, who is the uh, one of the comic book creators, as well as um, an exec producer on the show. We talked to Feige. We talked to Ma- Manvalani, who plays Ms. Marvel herself, who literally might be Ms. Marvel. Like, I could see her posters on the wall <laughs> behind her. It looked like Ms. Marvel's room. I'm just saying, I'm not saying she has superpowers, but I'm not not saying that either. So... Yeah, I'm I'm hyped. I'm very hyped. What else is in the issue? Well, we also have our first, I think, hate crime on the cover, uh, which is very exciting. <laughs> and that is, of course, Chris Evans' moustache oh, yes. from The Grey Man. Um, so The Grey Man is on the cover. That's really exciting. The film is something I'm really looking forward to. But, but the moustache, uh, come on. Come on. I don't know how I'm supposed to overlook that. It's very upsetting. It is upsetting, but also like in, in terms of if you want to make someone look like a massive bellend, that is the way to do it. And it his is, character yeah. is a massive bellend, so I actually know. it works out well. It is the moustache to do that, that's that's for sure. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So this is The Grey Man, and this is the cover film on this month's Empire, and it is a preview issue. It is a summer preview issue. Uh, summer 2022 is the, the summer we decided to preview in, in this year's... Uh, Which makes sense. Yeah, in this month's uh, uh-huh. Empire Magazine. Uh, and leading that preview is The Grey Man, which is the new film from the Russo brothers, Joe and Anthony Russo, uh, teaming up once again with their their old besties, their writer besties, uh, Steve McFeely and Christopher Marcus, and stars Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans and Anna de Armas and Reggae Sean Page and... Billy Bob Thornton and uh, and we speak to pretty much everybody I've just mentioned uh, in that and it's a it's a bit of a belter yeah we bit all, of a belter we also look ahead to Thor Love and Thunder 
to Lightyear, Chris Evans again, this time without a hate moustache. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Obi-Wan himself. Kenobi. Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. That's a name uh, I've not heard in a long time. <laughs> Since last week, in fact. And Elvis. <laughs> among many many others among many 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 others yes indeed uh, so oh, I, I wrote other things for this issue yes that's right yeah, so I spoke to Taika Waititi for Thor Love and Thunder and so he talks about the relationship in this movie between Thor and Jane Foster who's coming back all souped up and, and there's a lovely picture of them together thawed up yep mm-hmm. lovely picture of them together uh, what else is in there yes Lightyear as Helen mentioned mm-hmm. uh, there's a feature on We Own This City which is the the new HBO show that reunites George Pelicanos and David Simon with Baltimore of course were with, and Baltimore uh, Baltimore hasn't gone anywhere um, and there was a, you know, David Simon, of course, obviously the creator of The Wire, and uh, he has teamed up again with his old writer-producer pal, George Pelicanos, to bring this sobering look at police corruption, uh, which stars John Bernthal. Yeah. Uh, and the show itself is, is brilliant. Um, um, and they got some blithering idiot to write about it. I look forward to covering it on the Pilot TV podcast. Yeah, I can't wait. Also, uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of TV, uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power is in there, Star Trek, Strange New Worlds, and also Woo! Anson Mount's Incredible Hair is Ooh. in there. He has the most fantabulous hair. He, he really, really does. does. I mean, uh, you know, that's why the Inhumans failed, really, was like not making full use yeah, of his Yeah, it's like Black Bolt doesn't kill you when he speaks. He kills you when he takes off his hood and you see his hair like yeah. that's that's what I mean it's up there with Timothy Oliphant mm-hmm. in uh, Mando yeah, 100% yeah. We've got the first look at Viola Davis and Gina Prince Bythewood's uh, historical epic, The Woman King. We've got Where the Crawdads Sing. We've got uh, Pistols, the Sex Pistols TV series from Danny Boyle. We've got David Harbour. We've got um, Jennifer Coolidge. It's very exciting. It's a packed old issue. It is a packed old issue. There's some stuff in my section. I just can't remember what it is. Uh, I remember what my section is. I just can't remember what's in there. Oh, okay, good. Uh, Belfast. Fresh? Belfast, that's right. Turning red? Yeah, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, I spoke to Kenneth Branagh after he won his Oscar. Um, and uh, you know, big old chat about Belfast. Uh, he was telling me stuff like apparently there, was, there were musical numbers in there and, and whatnot at one point. And he had to cut them out or he decided to cut them out. He didn't have to cut them out. He could have kept them in. Uh, so there's lots of really, really great stuff inside the issue here. But uh, if you're excited about the Russo brothers' return to the arena or stadium of blockbuster filmmaking and you want to read more about The Grey Man, which is on Netflix in July, then this is basically your one-stop shop mm. right here, right now. Go and pick it up. It's on sale right now in all good and evil news agents uh, and fragile news agents as well. Uh, do stop to pick up a copy on your way to get me two tickets for the FA Cup final or the Champions League final. Let it go. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, indeed. Just slide into my DMs. Mm, lovely stuff. Right. Was there any actual movie news or are we just going to talk about stuff that's in the pages, <laughs> the hallowed pages of MR Magazine? It, it, it was quite a quiet week from what I could see, but there is one or two things. A Simple Favour is getting a sequel. Yeah. This is, I mean, I was quite surprised by this. I don't know about you guys. This was not a film I was expecting to get a sequel. It did do very well, though, at It the did, time. did it? Yeah, it did. It, it sort of, I think it was, you know, released a bit under the radar and then seemed to do quite well. The news of a sequel will probably cause a run on, you know, tuxedos for women in shops all around the world and rightly so because it's very, it was a very well-dressed film it was based on a novel last time around this one is going to be I guess a new story so hmm but we uh, do know that Anna Kendrick and Paul Feig and um, Blake Lively mm-hmm. I believe are coming back and in case people have banished A Simple Favour from their minds 
What what is what what is the film? Can you explain what's happening? What the first film is and what the sequel might be then? Yeah, so Anna Kendrick was um, a single mother and sort of uh, wannabe influencer who fell into the orbit of a far more confident and glamorous uh, woman at her son's school, at her kid's school, uh, when the two kids became friendly and agreed to help her out in a way, but then became really intrigued by by this woman's life. The other woman obviously being played by Blake Lively, um, who was married to Henry Golding in it. So... uh, yeah, you don't want to know any more than that. No, but there's there's no. secrets, there's secrets and twists and turns uh, in involved in Emily's disappearance and Stephanie's investigation into it. Yes, indeed. Like lively, I remember being really good fun. She was great in it. Yeah, yeah really, really good. So uh, yes, whenever I saw this uh, announced yesterday on Twitter, uh, for a second I thought it was a simple plan <laughs> that was being given a sequel. I was like, okay, I know this. You know, this is kind of Sam Raimi comeback, and he's trying to get things off the ground. And there's talk about a Dark Man sequel. Uh, which would ignore, I guess, the two Darkman sequels that exist. Um, but A Simple Plan doesn't really strike me as the sort of film that, that <laughs> you could get a sequel out of. But luckily it was a false alarm. Yeah. Scream 6 slash <laughs> two? 2? Scream. What are they going to call this one? Because they've already done the, we'll call it just the title. Yeah. <laughs> So do they go? Do they go the opposite direction to Fast and Furious and put some definite articles back in? Yeah, Does it become yeah, the, yeah, scream? Yeah. the scream? The scream. The scream. We'll call it the scream. The scream. Um, wouldn't wouldn't they get sued by, by Munch? I mean, no, probably not personally. Is it not Munch? No, I'm talking about um, the character from Law and Order. S. Oh, right, okay, well then that gets <laughs> Anywho, uh, yes. So the the sequel to last year's Scream. Scream 2022. No. Was it this year? It was this year. Was it this year? It was this, it was this year. year? Yeah. Okay. How time flies. The well, sequel no. to 2022's Scream. Yes. Uh, has now been is now moving forward. Yes. And we have been told that it will feature the likes of Melissa Barrera, who of course was there last time. Jasmine Savoy Brown, Mason Gooding, Janie Ortega. But the exciting news uh, dun, most dun, recently dun, dun. this week is that Hayden Panettiere will be back as well. Is that exciting? What? It, it is because she was in Scream 4 and she was very well liked in that. She's very fun four. in that. The, the Scream 4. Scream the 4. <laughs> she which, was in that. She which was... of course comes before Scream because that makes sense. <laughs> she was She was Kirby. Uh, your enthusiasm. Kirby, your enthusiasm. Oh, that should be the headline of the story. James, James I'll write it down. Yeah. Kirby, your enthusiasm. Kirby, your enthusiasm. Uh, and... Uh, she was uh, brutally stabbed uh, towards the end of the film. Stabbed? In a Scream movie? I know. Surely not. It's a, it's a big old shock. Uh, and people thought she was dead, but if you were of an eagle-eyed persuasion and you were watching Scream, brackets 2022, close brackets, uh, you will have noticed at one point they're on YouTube and down the thumbnails, down the side there's mm-hmm. a bunch of thumbnails and one of them says Kirby uh, talks, Kirby talks about her survivor's story or something like that. And so... The writers and the directors of Scream, open brackets, 2022, oh close brackets, uh, clearly like the character, want to keep her around and want to bring her back. And Hayden Panettiere, who hasn't made anything since Nashville came to an end in 2018, uh, is now been tempted back. And I really, 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 really hope they don't just bring her back to kill her again. Yeah, very much. Uh, she deserves better. She's had, I think, a rough time in her personal life. So it would be lovely to see her getting kind of back on top. Mm-hmm. 
It's the breaking news klaxon. It's the breaking news klaxon, and that can mean only one thing, folks. Yes, indeed, some news broke overnight after we had recorded the podcast, and we felt that this news was of uh, important enough significance to convene the team once again on Squadcast to have a chat about it. There's a couple of things to talk about. Uh, I've got Helen with me. Hello. And James with me. Hello. Virtually on Squadcast. We don't live together in, in a in a great big pod castle. Although that would be an amazing, amazing <laughs> show, by the way. If anyone wants to fund that. A, if anyone wants to give me a Champions League final and FA Cup final tickets, then that's great. But if anyone wants to fund the new, brand new TV show, Podcastle, in which some of the world's uh, greatest podcasters live together in a castle and get footed out every week until there's only one left then, you know, uh, you know where to find me, Netflix. Anyway, Helen and James are here, and we have a lot to talk about, including some Dune 2 news. Oh, God, there it is. (laughs) Yes, the news broke after we finished last night that Christopher Walken will be playing the Emperor in Dune, the Padishah Emperor. Shaddam IV. Indeed. Uh, He's basically the Emperor of the Galaxy. It's not... Uh, necessarily a huge role in terms of screen time, I would guess. It would be a quite small role in terms of screen time, but he should be playing um, the dad of uh, Florence Pugh's character, Princess Irulan. So, um, yeah, yeah, exciting. It's also excellent casting because, as we all know, if you walk in without rhythm, you won't attract the worm. So, you know. But he has rhythm, James, so that that joke just doesn't work. Oh, then he's fucked. He's going to get eaten and that'd be the end of it. So, you know, that's not going to work. It's like... The spice must flow. I, honestly, I can't wait for this. Two <laughs> sandworms fell into a, <laughs> a vat of sand. Should <laughs> add sand until with more spice. Now, spice. Two years he spent with that uncomfortable hunk of spice up his ass. Oh my god! Yeah, true. Nobody, nobody true wants that. Uh, so, as people have pointed out, uh, Christopher Walken, of course, who is a trained dancer and has mm-hmm. all kinds of rhythm, uh, appears in the. Uh, video for Fatboy yes. Slim's Weapon of Choice and does yes. that amazing dance through the lobby and the lyrics of that song in fact Walk Without Rhythm and We Won't Trap the Worm Indeed, which is from June so Whoa. it's all coming full circle It really is Yeah, as as Galactic Emperors go like he's not the worst but he's also like not a super cuddly dude you know I mean, he is responsible for the entire annihilation of House Atreides so, you know, he's a bit of a he's yeah, a bit he of a twat. failed, didn't he? You yeah. know. I mean, he's incompetent, but he's he is a twat. Well, isn't he supposed he's to he's supposed twat, to be but, incredibly you know. insecure is the point, isn't it? That he's yeah. threatened by Leto's rising popularity and he sets in all the events rat. in motion. Exactly. He sets all the events in motion and conspires with Baron Harkonnen to have the Atreides killed because he feels threatened by his support among yeah, the but great like, houses. That's just one little group of people, you know. He, he's not the worst. Like he's not, you know, blowing up planets like in certain other galactic empires I could name. I mean that was just Uh-oh. Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> Who would win in the fight between the two emperors? Maybe we'll get into that in another podcast. But it's, it's the uh, it's the morning. Uh, mm. We've convened to talk about four new stories, including one that we realised we hadn't talked about on the podcast yesterday, even though it's a huge, huge story. And so that's one down. One mm. down. Dune 2, Christopher Walken. Uh, everyone Yay. is very excited. I was yes. promised at least an hour on Dune. I feel robbed. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Jimbo, but I have to uh, keep this to a, a fairly short time so I can edit it and get the podcast up before I go off and and uh, do things and do the things I have to do this afternoon. So that broke last night. The news of Christopher Walken being in Dune two uh, and a story that broke earlier on in the week, if I'm right in thinking, is the casting of the new Doctor Who. The new Doctor. 
Sorry, that's right. Although, He's star of Doctor Who. My bad. We discussed this on the Pilot TV podcast, and apparently Whovians are quite an easygoing lot. And as Boyd was saying, they actually don't mind that everyone's describing her, uh, him as the new Doctor Who. In fact, Russell T. Davis, the man who revived Doctor Who himself, described Shuti Gatwa as the new Doctor Who, which, frankly, just makes me anxious because it's inaccurate and it bothers me. And I don't even like Doctor Who, but there you go. Anyway, he's the new Doctor, though. He's the 14th Doctor. And who is he? We, I think we buried the lead slightly there. Yes. Uh, Shuti Gatwa is uh, one of the stars of Sex Education on Netflix, and uh, he is Rwandan Scottish and um, is, you know, the first black doctor and I believe the first LGBT doctor as well. He's amazing. He's genuinely amazing. Uh, Shuti Gatwa is, in many ways, the best thing in sex education, and sex education is, in many ways, the best thing on Netflix. So actually, he's really, really, really brilliant, and actually, this is fantastic casting. I think he's great, and I say that as someone who really just couldn't give a fuck who plays Doctor Who because I don't like the show, but uh, I'm very pleased that he's got it, and I think I'm very interested to watch, as we will do on the Policy Podcast, I'll watch the first one or two, you know, to, to see how it goes when we review it. Um, whether it will draw me into the whole show, who knows? But it's unlikely, though. Well, it's unlikely. Look, I mean, <laughs> it's not just uh, Shuri coming in as the Doctor. It's also Russell T. Davis coming back as showrunner, Very much which so. has got to be a good thing because I liked Jodie Whittaker, you know, as a person, as a as a the sort of energy of her Doctor. But I just find the scripts. Um, bad and I didn't like the show. So I am quite excited to hear what's going to come now because I, Russell T. Davis presided over the best era of Doctor Who in my lifetime probably. So um, I'm super hyped to it's see what he does. It's a low bar. It's not a low bar. It's not. Look, you both hate Doctor Who. I get it. But this is a day for celebration. This is good news. It's a day, it's a day for celebration indeed. It will be a day long remembered. I'm like Jimbo in this, and I, I'm not a Doctor Who fan, and I don't watch Sex Education, so I don't know Shuri Gatwa. But everyone says he's an amazing piece of casting, so so I'm I'm happy mm-hmm. for him. And also, this casting has pissed off dickheads everywhere, and for that reason alone, I am all for it. So good luck to good luck to Shuri, good luck to Russell T Davis, good luck to Doctor Who. May his two hearts beat wildly on whatever he does next. <laughs> good luck to you in your future endeavors, Doctor. Good lord. Indeed. Uh, so anyway, um, should we talk about something that um, uh, I'm very cautiously excited about? I'm not sure where you guys stand on this. Sure, what's that? Well, we could talk about there's the, both of these the next news stories fall into the same category, which is Dan Stevens has joined the cast of Godzilla vs. Kong 2, uh, reuniting, of course, with Adam Wingard, the director of The Guest. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea of his character from The Guest being just dropped into the middle of Godzilla versus Kong. That would be that would be a lot of fun. Um, or we can talk about the, the news last night that there is development, active development, with a view to release in 2024 on a sequel to Liss's Spinal Tap with the original cast, all the guys, all yeah. the guys from Spinal Tap, and Rob Reiner, who presumably will be reprising his role as Marty DeBerge. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's the kicker for me, actually. You know, I think that suggests to me that everybody involved has an idea for this and, and knows what they want to do with it. So, I mean, look, comedy sequels, great comedy sequels. The list is, is not long. It may not even be a list. Uh, but if anyone can do it, surely it's the Spinal Tap gang. Yeah, I feel we've said this before. I feel we've been here before with the Sulander gang. Oh, if anyone could do it, it's Ben Stiller. Yeah, and then Sulander Two was not good. Yeah, and, and Anchorman and even Two. Though I, I know love you, Anchorman yeah. Two. I love Anchorman Two, but uh, I know that most people don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were like, if anyone could do it, it's Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. And then 
you know, what happened happened. Although I still think that movie is hilarious. Uh, and I can't really think of too many other great comedy sequels. Te- technically, Back to the Future 2 is a comedy sequel. I guess technically, technically yeah. I mean, technically, you could technically maybe argue for some of the Marvels, but they're not primarily comedy sequels. Pure mm. comedy sequels that are great. Juice Bigelow, European Gigolo. Okay, pure comedy sequels that are great, though. You know, it's it's uh, Airplane Two has its moments, but oh, nobody's God, yes. nobody. Come on, nobody's making the, the case for greatness. I, I am. I would I would happily make the case for greatness for Airplane Two. Okay, case dismissed. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> but look, it's if, so if many it's, great jokes. If it's Rob Reiner and the Spinal Tap Gang, you know, we've got to hope for the best. Hot Shots Part Two. Naked Gun Two and a Half. Yes, Maybe. yeah. Let's go, let's go. Again, it's got some great stuff. Got some great stuff. Jimbo, as a man who hates comedy, you must be delighted about this. I couldn't give a shit. Good, excellent. Okay, so <laughs> I do worry about this because obviously they're they're all older now, and I I um, it's confession time. I am not a fan of the work that Chris Guest and that troupe have done outside oh. of Spinal Tap. But some of it's so good. I mean, look, I didn't I didn't love all of them, but like Best in Show and A Mighty Wind. Absolutely terrific films. I love those a lot. Um, mm. But but this is a slightly different configuration of people, you know. And it uh, is. and it's Spinal it Tap. It's Spinal so Tap. They they do have an idea for the story. It's not just like what if they were back. Apparently, this will centre on the death of the their manager, and so his wife inherits their contracts, requiring them to do one last concert. And there's a lot of uh, bad blood and anger towards Marty DeBerge. Um, because they feel like the original documentary didn't show them at their best. I wonder where they could have gotten that idea. Um, but he returns anyway to film their final show. So um, that yeah, it's not a bad setup. Yeah, it's going to be based on the last waltz. Apparently, mm. this Scorsese's last waltz. So yeah, I'm I'm tentatively, cautiously excited, but um, we shall see. We shall see. And Dan Stevenson, Godzilla vs Kong too. We happy, excited. Yeah. He's great. We love Dan Stevens. He had to beat off a lot of American men to get the role, and presumably a lot of kaiju as well. Godzilla vs. Kong was actually a surprising amount of fun. So, yeah, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I wonder if he's going to be replacing Alexander Skarsgård in the in the lead role, or whether he's going to be joining him, or whether Millie Bobby Brown's going to be in the movie, or or any of the memorable characters who survived Godzilla vs. Kong will be returning, or whether it's going to be a bit of a clean slate. I mean, the human characters in those movies are, well, I'm being charitable by calling them characters, I feel like. So... The giant ape got more character development. He, he got a lot more character most. development, and perhaps that's as it should be. His name is, after all, in the title, and theirs are not. However, you know, I just hope it will be something worthy of Dan Stevens' time and attention. All right. Okay. Well, listen, um, I don't have a lot of time to turn this around, which is why this is slightly truncated, but uh, um, cautiously optimistic about all four of these things, right? Christopher yeah. Walken, June 2, yes. There is Shitty no caution. Gatwa. There is only spice and optimism for yeah. June 2. <laughs> no, ca- yeah, no caution on the June news. Very excited about that. Very excited about Shudi Gatwa. Mm. Shudi Gatwa, yes. Um, yeah, uh, good. Cautiously excited about Spinal Tap. And, I mean, meh. yes. You know, interested to see what happens in Godzilla versus Kong 2. God's, two Godzilla, two Kong? Maybe. Or Adam Wingard's about to turn it up to 11, just like Marty DeBerge and the Whoa. guys from Spinal Tap uh, once again. Uh, that that one is... And I, How do you do it? How do you match Spinal Tap? 
It's so quotable. It's so iconic.、Mm. How do you do it? Anyway, we'll find out. We will find out soon enough.、Uh, but in the meantime, that's it. I've got to go and edit this.、Uh, thanks, folks. Thanks for joining in. You can all put some clothes on now. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. Breaking news. Breaking news. Beep, 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 beep. And back to our regularly scheduled programming. Jonathan Levine is going to direct the Dirty Dancing sequel that is not the、mm. previous Dirty Dancing sequel, Dirty、mm. Dancing Havana, Havana Nights. Nights. Starring Romola Garai、mm-hmm. and a guy. Come on. Not just a guy, a hunky guy.、Uh, yeah, I, I felt like, like that、him. one with like, do I? Yeah, he's、Who、got nipples.、Him? He's got、mm, nipples. I mean, they all do, don't they? I mean, most of them, no disrespect to any who lost them in a tragic accident. He is in, he's in a upcoming science fiction television series that we're, we're on the fence about. It, it, it could be and or good. It could be, we're not sure. Oh, oh. oh yeah, Diego Luna. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, he's a very hunky guy. I'd forgotten. That it was him. I just remembered a hunky shape, <laughs> just like a general sort of <laughs> a shape pleasing, of a shimmering hunkiness, yeah, a, sh- a shimmering hunkiness, yeah. and, and that was、just、it. The blur of biceps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but、uh, yeah, no. Look, I mean, Havana Nights is 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 fine. It's no Dirty Dancing. Do you know? I'm going to make a confession right here on the Emperor Podcast. Do it. I have never seen Dirty Dancing. <gasps> Do you know what? Neither have I. What? You've never seen it. Even、It's、I've seen Dirty、space. Dancing. Our、never、next marathon、yeah. is set. It's just going to be Dirty Dancing on a loop. Everybody puts Chris in the corner. <laughs> yeah, but he never carries a watermelon. No, he that's doesn't.、Why. Yeah. I always get it confused with Flashdance, which are very, very different films. Very different films. Well, they've different. got the word dance in. Yes. I mean, yeah. yeah, but that's from the 80s. Which that's, is that's not a huge a overlap,、yeah. really, is it? Dirty Dancing, I think, I would, look, I would say in its defense that.、Um, You know, it's one of the peak Patrick Swayze moments in history. Obviously, along with Point Break, oh, this was、uh, got, Roadhouse, uh, Roadhouse, <laughs> and Red Roadhouse, Dawn. and Donnie Darko. Not, not Red Dawn. I refuse Red Dawn. I also refuse Donnie Darko because he plays a freaking pedo. Because he has a pedo sex dungeon. Why do you refuse、yeah. Red Dawn? I refuse Red Dawn because it's a big pile of red right wing twaddle. Is it? And yeah, <laughs> I haven't anyway, seen it in a while. The Ruskies, Wolverines.、Yes. MCU confirmed. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> anyway, avenge me. Dirty Dancing. First of all, has Patrick Swayze on form. It has Jennifer Grey on form, and it has a lot more darkness than you think there's going to be in it. There's all sorts of dark, weird shit going on in that movie. There is date rape and illegal backstreet abortions, and theft. All sorts of like very awful stuff. And in the middle of it are these two nice kids. Just trying to have a dirty dance, you know. It's it's not at all bad. I'm just a girl standing in front of a guy <laughs> carrying him a watermelon. Carrying a watermelon. Yeah. Yes. Okay.、Uh, you say two nice kids. How old is he supposed to be in this? He's meant to be 24, and she's, and she's meant like to be 15 or something. I think she's se- she might be 17 or 18. Okay. And he's. Look, was, it was a different was time. Mid 60s, wasn't he when he, when he shot that? <laughs> no. Come now. Yeah, it's quite a boring film. It's not great soundtrack、boring. though. I've listened、it、to the soundtrack, soundtrack loads and、yeah. loads of times. Just remember, I had the time of my life. No, the, actually, the disc two of the soundtrack、oh. is even better. Which one's got? Didn't the Swizzle actually sing "She's Like the Wind"? Yeah,、that? he did. Yeah, yeah but that's、song. disc one. No, disc two has、um, the the best song of all time.、Um, which is writing these arms of mine. Which is it's oh, not、so、the best song of all time. So good. The best song of all time is "Friday Night's a Great Night for Football." Yeah, medley from the opening <laughs> of, of the Last, Last Boy Scout. Yes, which yeah, you just said wasn't that good a stadium scene.、So. Oh, he did not. He did. I, I, I will blow your brains out just like Billy Cole. <laughs> Anywho, 
James attacks his job with a certain exuberance. <laughs> That's it. Uh, and one last thing, and not to take this too much into the territory of the Pilot TV podcast, yes. uh, but there was a trailer this week for the season fourth mm. of uh, the Westworld. Westworld. Yeah. And did, did we see it? I saw I the did. trailer. I haven't seen mm. it. No? It is, I mean, it's, it's a wild trailer. Like, it's, it leans heavily it into It seems to give a lot away. I don't know that it does, actually. Do it, it's it's quite weird and a little bit inaccessible because it's very unclear what's going on. There's a weird bee android girl spewing flies out of her mouth there's sort of creeping stuff on the ceiling mm. lots of stuff going on um, yeah Evan Rachel Wood is back despite things happening last season but it's one of these things it's been quite a while since season 3 and season 3 was as all Westworld series quite hard to follow and I was like I need a recap like, I need to brush up on what happened in season 3 because I genuinely can't remember but uh, hopefully they can yeah, you would hope, you would hope. Yeah. But this, I mean, it looks beautiful as it always does. Mm. And I know, like Boyd on the Pilot TV podcast, hated season three with an absolute fiery passion. I really liked it. Boyd's a very um, angry little man. He's str- well, no, because he normally loves angry. everything. He loves absolutely everything, even the most egregious ITV twaddle he will love. And yet, then suddenly he would take this sort of irrational hatred of something, like, for example, Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which he went on a fucking tear about last week, despite, despite it being mm. a TV podcast. Um, and, but yeah, he, but, he's. Uh, Boyd obviously recognising the cinema is superior so decided to <laughs> talk about it on your on your podcast you would never find me James talking about TV on the Empire yeah. film podcast yeah. so there we go so who's time now for yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll set him up and we all just kind of bumble around until, <laughs> until they fall until down they on the road. Down. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So uh, th- that's it for the movie news. Westworld season four looks good. Woo! There you go. And uh, our final guest this week, uh, I've, I've been ticking off the old bucket list this week. Spoke to short round and data contained in the body of the same man. Uh, and this week I finally got to t- talk to just two of the five members of the Kids in the Hall who are the legendary Canadian comedy troupe whose TV show ran for five seasons in the 90s. It was called The Kids in the Hall, ran on Channel 4 over here, uh, and is a kind of surreal, uh, very dark humour that is exactly up my boulevard. Uh, they are Mark McKinney, Scott Thompson, Bruce McCullough, Dave Foley, and Kevin MacDonald. And uh, they are back this week on Prime Video. There's a Kids in the Hall double whammy coming. So they have got a new season uh, on Prime Video, which starts today, if you listen to this, on the 13th of May, one day before the FA Cup final uh, at Wembley Stadium. Oh my God. What? what? I'm just trying to... Positive reinforcement. Right, uh-huh. right. I'm going to put a load of subliminal suggestions into the podcast and see if that works. Uh-huh. Yes, I am Get at James C. Dyer on Twitter. Please send all of your <laughs> FA Cup final tickets to me. <laughs> send me money! <laughs> uh, I so, don't think you understand what subliminal means. Damn it! <laughs> and, um, so anyway... Kids in the Hall's back uh, with a new eight-part show, I believe, on Prime Video. I've seen the first four episodes. It's very, very funny. Uh, and next week, there is a Kids in the Hall documentary about them because they've been together for 30 years and they've they've come together and broken apart again and gone down their separate things. And now they're back, back, back. Anyway, so excited about this show that I, uh, I asked if I could speak to some of the Kids in the Hall. And incredibly, they said yes. So uh, I got to speak yesterday to Bruce McCullough and Scott Thompson together. Uh, sound quality is not amazing on this, I will say. Uh, Scott Thompson was on Zoom. Uh, Bruce McCullough was on a phone and kind of dialed in. And so they were talking over each other. When they, when they talk over each other, they dipped out an awful lot. So there may be 
things like that like can't cut around. But nevertheless, I had an absolute delight talking to them. And I hope you guys uh, have a great time listening to this. Two of the members of the Kids in the Hall. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by two of the five members of the Kids in the Hall ahead of their triumphant return, Bruce McCullough and Scott Thompson. How the devil are you both? Oh, I'm doing very well. Um, how about you? Yes. I'm good. I'm very, very good. That is Scott Thompson and Bruce. You're on the phone. I can't see you, Bruce. Where are, where are you? Well, I'm in a hotel room and I am what they call buck naked right now. So I didn't, I didn't think we should visit that upon your wonderful listeners, of which I think there's nine or 10, which is amazing. Um, so I'm in a hotel room in my tartan pajamas, um, sort of pacing around <laughs> coffee and um, trying to get inside your brain. And I'm going to do that over, over the next few minutes. All right, good. Let's see that. Let's see how it goes. And by the way, ten listeners is an optimistic <laughs> assessment. I think. Uh, I think yeah. we, we aspire the double figures. We, maybe we can push into double figures this week. Uh, but I'm I'm so glad that uh, that you're not showing me your nakedness. Uh, there is a fair amount of nakedness uh, and a fair amount of nudity in these new episodes. I have to say, if anyone's ever been wondering what Kevin McDonald and Dave Foley look like naked, they're uh, disabused of that notion fairly swiftly. <laughs> and and they and we lean into it. That was for Scott, but um, he didn't really like it so much. Well, <laughs> I just didn't understand why I, it wasn't me being naked. I, I mean, I would have definitely been naked. I mean, I go pretty far, but I did not go naked. But I think the reason the nakedness—it's Dave and, and Kevin who really show it off. I think it's kind of leaning into our age. There was so much talk about all oh, these these old farts. Who wants to see their wrinkled stem and berries? And I guess they just uh, leaned into it and said, "You don't want to see this? These old gray pubes? Well, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna shove them in your face." <laughs> well, it. but also, they're comedy. They're comedy. I don't want to say gods. They're pretty cool comedy guys. They knew the sketch demanded it, so they had to do it. Yeah. So who who wrote that sketch? Did they write themselves into that situation, or did you write them into that situation? No, no, those dumb fools themselves. It's like when we did our miniseries, Death Comes to Town, I wrote myself into a fat suit, which was the most horrendous experience perhaps in my life. And it's like, you did it to yourself, yeah. um, as Radiohead said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I would never have done that, actually, when I really think of it. I'm too vain to really do that. Like, I wrote myself some pretty sexual stuff with the, the professor, with me and Dave in bed together. But I made sure I had a mustache and a leather jacket and a whole <laughs> bunch of leather gear. So I'd come off pretty good. But I don't know if I'd have the courage to do what those two did. I, I really yeah. I have to salute them. I really do. Yeah. Uh, I wrote a sketch about Cupid. And it was just that Cupid was a boyer. And he just, like, put people together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, fucking do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. And I, I sort of masturbate. Um, watching people. And I thought, I don't know if I want to be in a big diaper with a little bow and just watching people and and uh, feigning masturbation at this point in my life. So I said, <laughs> oh, let's not do that one. But I think if we if we get a second season, I, I'm going to write a Cupid piece for Bruce because I want to see that. Um, <laughs> I want to see that again is what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, Scott, Scott and I stared dressing room for many years, so um, nudity is not a problem for us. Yeah, no, nudity is not a problem, and it's it's a it's a it's a traditional um, part of a comedy. It really is, you know. I think people genuinely. It's interesting about the male and the female bodies. I think people um, laugh much more at the male body than the female body. 
think when a woman does is naked, it, it's it's more vulnerable if that makes any sense, and people are a little yep. more afraid. But with with males or nakedness, with male nakedness, and I'm even saying that as a gay man who loves to look at men naked, there's it's 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 much more comic. And we're we're tipping the patriarchy a little bit. And I remember um, I remember seeing somebody naked. Uh, Danny Bonaducci was naked in one of his shows, and he had a super ripped body. And I thought, no, that's yeah. not funny because you're super ripped. That's right. <laughs> as much as I love Danny Bonaducci from the party. But it's that's true. what it is. Yeah, good bodies are not funny. They're not. There's something about the absurdity of the slightly sallow, psyching skin. And, yeah. and, and I'm sure and, there, there's definitely people out there that looked at, at uh, um, Dave and uh, and Kevin and, and and fantasize about them and maybe went off and had a little, you know, a little session to the, with themselves or even during this sketch. They are few and far between, <laughs> and I hope it's not you. And even if it is, I'm not judging because there's something for everyone, isn't there? Like I looked at those two bodies and I went, there are women out there that want that. And there are women out there that have had that. It's what my real estate agent once said. There's a buyer for every house. <laughs> if you're in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and the, only, and the only choices are Kevin or Dave, you might take one of them. No. No, I would not. But Dave kind of made up for something because Bruce wrote a piece many years ago for, it was in our special, which was Naked for Jesus. And in that, we all go fully nude. But Dave would not do nudity in the show. And he never did the nudity in the show. And then after the Kids in the Hall ended, we had that period where we were not together. Dave made a series of, well, let's just say, um, challenging movies. Yeah, he made a lot of garbage where he took his clothes off. And so we all got to see him naked quite a bit. And and then many years later, he came back to when we all came back together. Bruce, I mean, uh, Dave decided, well, I'm going to give them what they want. Incredibly, I think we're almost out of time already. But, talk about anything. <laughs> but we have we we only talked about penises so far. But which is exactly what I had intended for. But uh, when you, I, I wanted to talk about you guys getting back together again and how that worked uh, creatively, how it worked in the writers' room. Um, because whenever you first got together, you were all you were slight in slightly different troops initially. Um, and Scott, I know you, Paul Bellini, was your, is your writing partner as well. So is it a bit like Python, where they had three different writing groups? Or did you all come together in the writing room uh, on this one? Um, we did. We, yeah, Mark and I are, are kind of writing partners, or I write for him. And then he says, nah, I don't want to do that one. Um, and yeah, Scott had Bellini and us. Um, but we sort of have different, like there's Kids in the Hall West, which is Mark and I. And then Kids in the Hall East, which is Kevin Dave. And then Scott's kind of just this weird person, this like weird Tasmanian devil circling us, trying to get his his pieces in the show. Yeah. I'm the flaming bridge between the two groups, between the East and the West. And sometimes my bridge collapses, but then I rebuild it all the time. <laughs> but I came late to the game, and I knew that this, these, this group of uh, comedians needed something else. And I, I thought I was arrogant enough to think it might be me. I'm sorry, but it's true. Like when I saw them, that was it. I, I, I had only one idea, and that was to make them want me to be in the group. And then once I was in the group, I had to become indispensable. And, and I, I latched on like a barnacle. And uh, Bruce, from your, your point of view, do you remember that? Do you remember the moment that Scott uh, forced crowbar his way into, into your affections? Oh, he did, he did crowbar his way in. 
Um, I remember coming and thinking, who the fuck is this guy with a bag full of wigs? And I think it was Mark brought him in and was just like, we have to have another person we have to listen to. And then, of course, when I saw him perform and he killed, it's like, okay, you can stay. <laughs> yeah, it was Mark because they didn't want Kevin and Dave didn't like me because I was an actor. And they were very prejudiced against actors. Well, because they thought actors couldn't be funny? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. I remember when Mark took acting lessons when we were in Calgary and everybody went, oh, God, he's not going to be funny anymore. And, of course, he just got funnier. <laughs> it works exponentially like that. Uh, but but for this one, Bruce, I, I, I saw an interview with you guys where you said that actually – it was seeing Scott's one-man show, a recent one-man show, that was the catalyst, in a way, for getting the, the, the group back together uh, again. Is that, is that the case? Yes, without question. I mean, Scott, and hopefully he'll take it uh, to the UK at some point. I know he wants to. Uh, I do. A, I a want to go to show. It's so brilliant. His mind, just watching it, I just watched it. And, you know, it was a little long, and he sweated a little bit. But... He, it was so fucking brilliant. I thought, that man needs a voice. He needs to be back in culture in a different way, to be on TV or whatever again. And that was just the last straw for me. It's like, okay, we got to do it again. Oh, that's nice. It is nice, isn't it? From your, from your point of view, in terms of getting the group back together again, were you, were you reluctant or were you up for it? Oh, God, I wanted it for years and years. Um, I've been in the wilderness for quite a long time. Just, you know, doing one-man shows and... Um, doing small parts here and there. And occasionally I would get some gold, like when I got on Hannibal for a few years, that was wonderful. But I really, and I've been writing one person shows over and over and doing stand up. And I, but I was out, you know, into small towns and in front of 20 people, et cetera. Like, and it was just too much, but I kept writing and in a strange way, failure, um, or not, I wouldn't call it failure, but struggle can be your best friend because it, forces you to continue to innovate and create and um but i wanted to be back with the kids in the hall almost since we ended <laughs> because i knew that that's where i was strongest that i was good on my own but together we were great yeah and it it, it is weird that somehow we can be more like ourselves in a, in this group than we are kind of even on our own in a way yeah that that's that's a good point we are. We're more ourselves when we're with each other because no one else can really understand us and no one else makes us laugh as much. And I went for so many years going, well, I'll find this again. I'll find this kind of chemistry again. But, you know, you don't. Life is uh, life throws these things at you. You'll get it. It'll happen once, maybe twice. And that's it. And when you get it, you hold on for dear life until you choke the life out of it, you know, <laughs> until it's just dust. And, and, and obviously you have, there, there, there have been breakups and comings together over the, over the years. You, you've done tours and death comes to town and, and brain candy, which I'm glad to see is, is given uh, not just a mention, but a, almost a resurrection in, in, in this show without giving anything away. Yeah. You've always stayed together, even though maybe there have been differences occasionally and there's been things in private lives and whatnot, but you've always stayed together as a, as a core group. You've always stayed in touch. Uh, was, is it, how important was that to you, to you both to do that? Well, I, yeah, we never broke up. I mean, Dave says he thought we broke up at some point. Yeah, I think I think it's important. It's a lifelong bond. Like it drives me crazy that REM said they were breaking up and that they broke up. And maybe they needed to. I don't know the inner workings of that amazing band. But it's like, can't you just stay together and maybe do a record in twenty years? 
Um, so that's what we were. We were just, we were together. We just weren't making a record. And it's not like we have, you know, and I like having lunch with Scott. He likes to spill a bunch of things on you and then you can pay, you get to pay for lunch. Um, but <laughs> it's more fun to work with these guys. And so we just keep coming together. And I think now, you know, with this series and maybe in the last tour, I felt it. It's like we, you know, the only way out of this troupe is a, is in a tomb with a tombstone and we'll never keep going if one of us goes and well, but we're going to keep going until one of us goes. <laughs> oh, God. I was going to ask, but it might be the darkest question. Who, who's your money on first? <laughs> well, when Dave used to drink, we used to we actually have a song about the kids in the hall until one of us dies, probably Dave, which is in our second episode of the kids in the hall hit series, which is going to be everywhere on Amazon. Um, but I, I don't know now. Like for a while, no, you know, there's obviously a thing in the documentary where Scott got cancer and I told him he was going to be yeah. the last to die. So I think I gifted him that, that he will be the last fucker to go. He'll be such a mess. He's going to be 97 with his, with his emerald encrusted walker. And he's going to drive everyone crazy. It's like, he's going to be the last to go. <laughs> I like that walker picture. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I thought it was me, Dave, too. But it, it, it definitely not now because Dave's doing so well. Um I, I have no idea. I can't say it now either. It's, it's going to be something very dramatic. You know, like you can't predict a bus walking into a bus or something. Or, but, you or know. Scott will probably die in a plane crash. Um, oh, don't he, even. He's got a. He's got a great fear of flying. So whenever I fly with him, I go, I think this plane's going to go down. I think this is the one. That's an asshole. Why, why does he fucking do that? <laughs> I don't get that. You know, this is the thing. This is one of the reasons I didn't want. I, I'm kind of like reluctant for this to be successful because I go, oh, God, what if it's successful and we're nominated for awards and we have to fly all over the place? And, oh, God, what if we get nominated for an Emmy? Then I have to fucking fly to L.A. and there has to be a press tour, all that sort of thing. <laughs> flying, flying, flying. I, that's where I'm going, can't we just get a bus? Like, even when we tour, it's always a discussion like, I just, all I want is a bus. That's the best. Is driving around in the bus after you've done a good show, and then you go to the next city, and hopefully we'll do that in the UK sometime, Scott. Oh, you, you we uh, can you believe that we've never really taken off in the UK? That always kind of hurt us. That hurt us. It always upset us. Doesn't nothing to do with me, Scott. Uh, do you have Do you have any answers? Do you have any um, theories about why? I thought I thought you guys had taken off in the UK because um, I, I whenever I was uh, whenever I first got into kids in the hall you were on channel four about 11 o'clock every week and i absolutely just fell head over heels for 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 you you guys and your comedy and uh, i've been evangelical about you for for the last 20 odd years so it's not my fault i know it's not your fault but i I need someone to blame (laughs) Um, well maybe we maybe i thought for being so fucking amazing and obsessing us all and obsessing probably all the people still in England, um, that how, how could you watch Kids in the Hall after you've had Monty Python's flying circus on your TV? Come on. <laughs> like we, we really thought we'd be Python in England and, and we were never, it never quite happened. I'm hoping that this might do it because boy, I would love a UK tour. Uh, oh no, the, no, the, the, especially the English, they're going to like what they're going to like. And that's why we love them. They're, they're kind of, yeah they'll turn their nose up at anything they don't like. And I think it's us at this point. 
Oh no 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 no, Bruce. Honestly, you you come to you come to the UK, do a tour. I will bring all ten listeners of this podcast <laughs> along. It's going to be absolutely triumphant. Uh, Dave and Kevin can get naked. It's going to be glorious. Well, we'll we'll do that, and unless the plane Scott is on crash. Jesus Christ! We're taking a bus over. No, we're taking the bus. We're going to drive it onto the Queen Mary, and we're going to take it over. That's what we're doing. (laughs) Does Scott take a separate plane? Because is this like an Air Force One, Air Force Two situation? Absolutely, yes. The kids can't be all in the same plane together because if one plane goes down, four kids have to be around. Stop this! I hate this. Stop it! No, no, we all we all travel together. Because we know when the plane crashes that Stop it! Uh, that that we don't have to write any more material. We're done. That's it. We're done, uh, and I'm I'm done as well. Uh, so I'm going to let you guys go uh, to work this out between yourselves. Uh, I just want to say as well, when you came back, Kids in the Hall, the theme tune is one of the greatest theme tunes of all time. That was non-negotiable, I guess, bringing that 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 theme tune back. Well, thank you so much. And I just want to add one other thing: that when the engine stops working. I know. It will be comforting for a second. We will feel comfort, Scott. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. Scott, Bruce, absolute pleasure. Thank you so Thank much, you guys. Very much. Thank you. Okay, so that was Bruce McCullough and Scott Thompson, and the Kids in the Hall are back on Prime Video. Uh, all episodes have dropped. Uh, it is very, very funny. If you are a fan of Kids in the Hall like me, you're going to be in hog heaven. Anyway, now we that TV has intruded on the, <laughs> the paradise that is the Empire Film Podcast. Let's get back to movies, shall we? Hurrah. It's time for the reviews section. It's time to talk about the films that are going to be playing at the multi-first plex or the sofa first plex this week. Uh, there's only one place to start, and that is with Michelle Yeoh in the multi-first of madness, a.k.a. everything, everywhere, all at once. Hell's bells. Yay! Take us through this incredible <laughs> film. That is uh, that is my review. This comes from the Daniels, who of course made Swiss Army Man, and stars oh, awesome, Michelle amazing Yeoh. film. Mm. Stars Michelle Yeoh as Evelyn, who is she's a woman who is having a difficult time. She is the owner operator of like a dry cleaning business with her husband uh, Waymond, played as uh, we heard. You find it's a laundromat. <laughs> 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 Just is a little accuracy too much to ask. <laughs> right, you apriorist. All right. So Michelle Yeoh plays uh, Evelyn, who is the uh, owner, uh, co-owner of a laundromat with her husband Waymond, played as we heard by K. Hui Kwan. And uh, she has a lot on her plate. They're facing a tax audit. They're, they're due to meet with their tax uh, auditor, um, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, later that day. She's also throwing a Chinese New Year party. She's got her father visiting, played by James Hong, the, the great James Hong, who just got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame this week, by the way. And she's also trying to navigate a difficult relationship with her daughter, Joy, who's played by Stephanie Hsu. Um, that's all a lot to deal with. And then she discovers that she's the last hope of the multiverse and that she must save the everything uh, from an evil entity that is going to destroy the everywhere and everywhere of the multiverse. And uh, and that's your setup for a film that goes through multiple realities, um, that goes through multiple people playing the same role in multiple realities, so multiple different versions of each person. It goes some places you will not expect. There are fights using implements that were never designed for fighting. <laughs> um, there are bizarre, just wonderfully weird realities where people, for example, as James alluded to earlier, have hot dog finger hands. There, There's just so much weird 
weird shit going on and I love it. And, and, and there are also, you know, realities that are very much like Evelyn's own sort of home reality where just a tiny little thing in her life went differently. One little tiny thing changed. Um, so you get to see kind of the whole breadth of the, the possibilities, I think, of the multiverse. It's enormous, enormous fun. Uh, it's incredibly layered visually and and story-wise and character-wise. And while having this incredible universe spanning tapestry is also quite a focused story about a family figuring out their issues. Mm. And and just to to pull off both of those things at once is, I think, near miraculous. The way I went into this film, having heard nothing but rave reviews about it for what a month nearly since yeah. it came out in the States, and even before that from from Sundance and things. Um, and I thought, I'm worried I was overhyped. I was worried it was going to let me down by comparison. Mm. And it still blew me away. Even having heard lots of little tiny bits about things that were going to happen in the film, it's still extraordinary. They they wanted to get the kind of the gonzo feel of some of the, the Hong Kong martial arts uh, movies. So the Daniels recruited, literally recruited stunt fighters off the internet and got incredible results. Absolutely incredible results. The fight scenes in this are amazing. Um the I think they had a total of seven people in their VFX, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yet the VFX are amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, the costumes are completely out of this world. The performances are off the charts. I mean, uh, Kei Hui Kwan is incredible, and I can't believe we've been denied him as an actor for this long. Mm -hmm. Michelle Yeoh has never been better, and that is a hell of a compliment. Um, you know, it's I mean, just delightful. What this film does is show how it's not that Michelle Yeoh has been misused by Hollywood uh, and American filmmakers uh, since she really broke through in 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 Hollywood. Mm. Obviously, I'm not talking about yeah, she had Hong a very, Kong movies. Very good Hong Kong career already. But I think she's been misused by American filmmakers, and that you know, she whenever she came you know came through with Tomorrow Never Dies, and even after that, you by and large she was cast as either the really hot woman who could kick someone really convincingly, and then as she got older. Not always. You could argue Star Trek Discovery mm. and Sunshine use her in interesting ways. But as she got older, then she became the matriarch yeah. uh, who, you know, in the case of Shang-Chi, was a matriarch who could kick people as well, really convincingly. But what the, what the Daniels have managed to do here is see, look, look past that to see the incredible actress beneath. Yeah. And the comedian as well. The actress, comedian, the dramatic range, so it's all there. Mm -hmm. She's amazing in this. Uh, Stephanie Sue, uh, as her daughter, is extraordinary. Uh, this is the kind of movie that will, I would imagine, not get any traction at the Oscars next year, but it absolutely it should. Absolutely she should be yeah, a, yeah. a shoe in for nomination for Best Actress, Michelle Yeoh. Kihui Kwan should be a shoe in for Best Supporting Actor or even Best Actor. Stephanie Su should be a shoe in for Best Supporting Actress. I could go on. Uh, this is an incredible movie, but I'm not going to talk too much more about it. You guys, talk. I will say, like, not since Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels have I seen someone so comprehensively beaten to death with a dildo and, uh, <laughs> that is high praise indeed it's absolutely batshit to the point where you're just like what is happening and fair play to Jamie Lee Curtis because I think Jamie Lee Curtis's quote-unquote review of this that she put I think it was on Instagram wasn't it uh, sort of juxtaposing it with the other multiverse movie that is out at the moment uh, sums it up absolutely perfectly um, and I, it's and she is m completely magnificent in this mm. just absolutely it's 
I mean, I, it's so hard to actually accurately sum up why this works so well. Exactly as you say, it's got spectacle, it's got fight, it's got crazy, mind-bending, timey-wimey stuff in there. Uh, you've got a family drama at its core, which is touching, affecting, real. Uh, you've got these wonderful performances. There's so much going for it, but at no point in this film do you have the first fucking clue what it's going to do next. I mean, mm -hmm. at all, at any point. But that's not to say, like, things still flow. Oh, and they make sense. And they make sense. And, they make and sense. that's what's but so impressive. I love the absurdity of the core idea of to access other selves, you have to do something that defies probability. So that fundamental sort of like premise means you have to do something incredibly stupid, wild and wacky in order to access superpowers, essentially. Yeah. Which, and I'm just saying, the word butt plug is one that should not be taken lightly <laughs> in this film. And there is a slow-mo shot revolving around that, which may be one of the greatest things that's ever been captured on a film. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It made me laugh a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it is, it, I, th I think it really does make the most of this concept of multiverses. You know, it really, th this idea of infinite universes is really... Uh, they they make the most of it in a way that perhaps other multiverse movies don't. don't. Um, what movie could you be talking about, yeah. John? I no, nothing specific, but you know that any this is truly a multiverse of madness. You could say mm. um, it it really does, and it also taps into this idea, which I thought was really clever, in the sense that if there are infinite multiverses, then kind of why bother when nothing matters there's this sort of running thread of like nihilism and it becomes quite philosophical towards the end but importantly for me it's not a film about yay nihilism which no, you know is my it's, least favourite thing it's ever. nihilism but with a, a healthy dose dose of empathy as well mm. which is really beautiful it's like it does so many different things yes. all at once yeah. it's like maximalist filmmaking I'm just going to say rocks Rocks. Rocks. Ah, rocks. Yes. Rocks. You will cry at rocks in this just film. Absolutely. Because also, that is, is, it is a sequence where there is no sound. And the laughter was. Yeah, deafening. Yeah. It's it's mind boggling. The invention that's on display here is, is just incredible. Um, and in the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness first spoiler special, which we recorded earlier on this week, but which was, I'm not kidding, folks, nearly four fucking hours long. And so it's going to take me a little while to edit. Uh, I talk about how, yes, the, the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is a Sam Raimi film and it's got lots of little Sam Raimi flourishes and, you know, it, it feels quite often like a, like a Sam Raimi film. But I don't think it has those filmmaking flights of fancy that, for me, are the reason why I fell in love with Sam Raimi, mm -hmm. which is those things that he was trying that no other director would even attempt you know, whether it's the incredible transition in Darkman from, you know, where, where you know, Francis McDormand goes from uh, a concerned girlfriend to grieving mourner in the space of a single shot or the incredible POV shots in Evil Dead 2 or pretty much any of the duels in The Quick and the Dead where he's, he's just, he's testing the boundaries, he's like the Raptors testing defences of, he's testing the boundaries of cinema and coming up with stuff that just makes him giggle that no other director has ever done. Not not dissing his work at all in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It's a very, very different film from this. Uh, you know, it's a much more, it has to be a little bit more conventional, I would say, than this movie. This movie can get away with being Gonzo. But the Daniels in this film and a Swiss Army Man and, in, you know, if you've seen any of their previous work in, in music videos, they have that Raimi gene. 
in that they are trying things. They are doing things that no other director has ever, to my knowledge, attempted. Uh, oh, and, and you can almost hear them giggling. If we can pull this off, the audacity of what we're about to pull off here, if we can make this work, this is going to be incredible. And this movie brought me back to that that mindset of, you know, the early Sam Raimi films that made me fall in love with, with cinema to a great degree. Uh, and it's just incredible. You know, we're sitting here, we're jaded, we're cynical, uh, and a, a movie comes along like this that just reawakens or or just reminds you and there's another one coming along in a couple mm-hmm. weeks it's a massive massive movie it's Top Gun Maverick folks that just reminds you of what cinema can do yeah. mm-hmm. and I, I loved it I didn't I will be honest understand everything <laughs> but that's what second and third viewings yeah. are for and this is a film that yeah. demands it's, and deserves second and third it viewings it stands up on I've, I've viewings. watched it four times now mm. four and, times and it gets better with every viewing mm. genuinely you've gone full Terry yeah <laughs> this is incredible <laughs> I, I wrote the feature for, for the magazine so I, I, I watched it we watched it as a team and then I watched it a couple of times at home and I watched it in the IMAX and in the IMAX is incredible incredible um, and honestly I just I pick up more things every time I watch it and you know the, there's a scene uh, there's a fight scene in this film involving a fanny pack, mm-hmm. oh which just makes my heart leap with joy every time I watch it. It's just so much fun. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. it's my film of the year by a long shot. I will be very surprised if anything it is topples it. I May twelfth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, every day is Christmas Eve around yeah. here, but some days are Christmas Day, you know, and. This is one of those. It is December 25th. <laughs> Just checking the phone. Hey, Siri, what day is today? December 25th. Jesus Christ, leave me alone. Uh, so there we go. Five, three stars? <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> Imagine if we all gushed over this film and then went, three stars <laughs> for everything it everywhere is a recommendation. all at once. it is a recommendation luckily so is five stars and yes folks we are doing a spoiler special for this movie the interview with Daniels because that's apparently how they like to be referred to is that right just Daniels just Daniels mm-hmm. come on guys um Daniels, the interview with Daniels is already in the bag. Uh, ben Travis, who is a super fan of this movie, also like John, he's only seen it twice, so ha ha ha. Uh, he interviewed him, I think, last week. So if you have any questions about everything, everywhere, all at once, and you want us to somehow get our pea sized brains around it, then slide into my DMs. One word. Uh, yes. Rakakuni. <laughs> Rakakuni. <laughs> oh. I fear we may have given too much away. Um, Played by uh, Randy Newman. Uh, say no more. <laughs> no. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, and, and there's there is actually an original song uh, sung by Randy Newman on the soundtrack. I thought I recognized it. <laughs> Randy Newman, of course, whose uh, incredible song "I Love LA" plays during which scene? The Naked Gun. It's all coming back, okay. full circle. Yeah. <laughs> Five stars for this podcast. Five stars for everything, everywhere, all at once. Five stars for Helen O'Hara. Oh, thanks. Five stars for John Nugent. James is also here, which is great. (laughs) What else should we review? I mean, it's a bit like last week where films were running scared of Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, and films should be running scared of this movie because it's done incredibly well in the States. It's Mm -hmm. it's a little engine that could. It's, it's, It's got $40 million dollars which might keep it around in the Oscar reckoning for next season, for next year, and it's just doing really, really, really well. Um, so films probably should be running scared from it, but if we're talking about singular filmmakers, they don't come much more singular, <laughs> even a concept, they don't come much more singular or unique <laughs> than uh, Gaspar Noé. Uh, uh, and this is Spider-Man No Way Home, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm talking about Vortex, John, review it. <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
I don't know. That is that is it's... a multiverse version of that film, I would say. <laughs> I really God. Where Dr. Octopus gets beaten to death with a fire extinguisher <laughs> and then there's some uh, authentic hard fucking. <laughs> yeah. Um, Vortex, John. Vortex. <laughs> um, yes. What to say? I mean, it's quite... Three stars in for Vortex. It's, uh, it's a bit you of said a... You said you've had things to say about it. I have things to say. I okay. have things to say. Uh, I am I guess I'm hesitating because to go from sort of a life-affirming, joyous film like Everything Everywhere into a two-and-a-half-hour film about death... Um, hey, is... we've all seen Downton 2, Downton so... <laughs> hey. We're okay. I haven't yet. I need to. Um, you know, this is a, is a very interesting and original film, but it is basically two and a half hours of uh, two elderly people at death's door sort of shuffling around their apartments. So if you um, love the first five minutes death. of Up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this yeah, is stretched this is out. Basically that. Yeah, it's, um, it's, I mean, a lot of people are calling this a kind of a departure for Gaspar Noé, which in a way it is because it is not like... You know, he's he's known for being a provocateur. Irreversible, into the void, yes. love. Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah. love is essentially a porn film. You know, he's... he's, he's Climax. He's done a lot of very... Uh, enfant terrible sort of uh, films. Um, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> wow. Um, I think my Duolingo app has just deleted itself. Yeah. <laughs> 151 day streak. Um, <laughs> hey, you're doing well. Thank you. Yes, yeah. thanks. I, I got your congrats the other day. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I like to I like to encourage people. I'm, I, I know you're trying to review the film, but I'm going through <laughs> okay. uh, a period of malaise with Duolingo. Uh, I, honestly, I need people to help me because I'm I'm doing the bare minimum at the moment. Yeah. I, I kind of I've fallen out of love with it a little bit. I need to get back into but it. The thing is, you've just replaced Marvel Puzzle Quest with Duolingo. Yeah, you? but at least this has taught me something. Well, yeah, exactly. And I, I applaud that. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But whereas Marvel Puzzle Quest, the only thing that taught me was um, different powers and skill sets of, of various characters, including, of course, Kamala Khan and America Chavez. Uh, and it's also the place where Captain Carter first began. Uh, True story. Anyway, John, please continue. I will, I, will, I will send you a high five on the app. Oh, I, please I do. It's not. Just, um, I just. I just. I need. I need my. I need to re- rediscover my mojo. Whatever anyway, the French for mojo is. Anyway, Vortex. Gaspar is Vortex. Uh, so yes, this is about uh, an elderly couple played by Dario Argento. Yes, that Dario Argento, who's oh. never really acted before. He's only directed amazing horror films, but now he's an actor, um, and uh, he plays. An elderly man uh, living with an el- his wife, an elderly woman played by Françoise Lebrun. Um, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no? Oh. Trey Françoise. <laughs> 151 days. <laughs> you, you sound like Joey in that episode of Friends. <laughs> Which language are you doing on Duolingo? I think it's French. They oh, said sure? it was French. Um, anyway, <laughs> Françoise Lebrun. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. This is, Have you this ever is, been to France? Yeah. Good, good morning. I, I was just, I was just yeah. pissing by. When I thought I would drip in. <laughs> All right, Officer okay. Crabtree, go on, continue. Okay. Vortex. Vortex. So, this elderly husband and wife. It's a very sad, serious film. Um, and uh, they, it's filmed almost entirely in split screen. So, there's we see from both of their perspectives. The camera moves in different at uh, different times from their different perspectives. It's quite an effective sort of uh, conceit, mm. um, and it really is just sort of watching their their slow decline. Um, the wife is is kind of suffering from Alzheimer's. She's struggling with her memories. the The husband has a lot of um, 
illnesses. He's, I think, suffering from a, a lung disease, possibly cancer. Um, and they have a son who is also a former addict. I mean, this is not a, you know, a laugh riot. This is quite a serious, sad film. But in, in sort of Gaspar Noe terms, I guess it's quite understated. You know, it's not drawing attention to itself in, in the same way that a lot of his films do. Mm. There is this, you know, very unusual f- split screen format. But otherwise, it is just like a very low key drama about two people who are, you know, at the end of their lives. Um, and it is very, very sad. Uh, I mean, it's relentlessly so. I, I, I would say, you know, if you have um, people in your life who are at this stage in your life, this might be quite a hard watch. It's really bleak. There, there is not much sort of like light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it's beautifully done. I think that, you know, the the acting from the two actors, the two lead actors is exceptional. And I thought their names again, John? Uh, it's, it's of course Dario Argento, Dario Argento yes. and uh, Françoise Lebrun. Lebrun. Huge apologies to her and to the, yes, every French speaker in the world. But, um, she telephoned la police. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, they play it beautifully. It is, it, it reminded me a bit of. Um, uh, Michael Haneke's Amour, which is yes. a very similar sort of. It's setup. one of the. Um, it's one of the things that uh, No Way has has cited as an influence, right. certainly because there's a um, at Picture House, and I'm not being paid to plug this. It's a genuine season that I'm I'm, I'm really looking forward to actually seeing. Uh, I think Gaspar No Way has chosen a series of films that are going to be playing at the at Picture Houses around the country. Uh, I can't remember what it's called the season, but it's basically things like so. Michael Hannigan's Amour is one of the movies, mm. uh, and a couple of Argento movies that are in there as well that I've never seen. The big screen, the bird with the crystal plumage, things like that, uh, and uh, it, yeah, looks really, really great. The one that surprised me was uh, Hiroshima Mon Amour. Oh yeah, probably shouldn't have done, but it did. Didn't see that one. I guess another f- film about death. Mm. Um, mm. Fun, fun, fun topics. I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, it is beautifully done. I think there is a lot to be said for it i think it is um maybe his most mature film in in more ways than one but um i i I did find it quite exhausting uh it's it's relentless it's it is two and a half hours of sadness there isn't uh, maybe as much texture as there could be to the tone of it um i wanted there to to i i don't know it just it, it it ultimately only goes in one direction and there is only one direction it can go um, and it, it is it is you know incredibly sad for that. Um, so it, it's it's not it's it's not an easy watch, but I I, I think it is still a worthwhile watch. I, I think we gave this one three stars, which I think is is about right. But yes, I, as as far as Gaspar Noe films go, it is certainly a new direction, and I, I'm very interested to see you know if this is what he can do w- without sort of. Yeah. drawing attention to himself the bells and whistles and yeah. whatnot yeah it sounds great I haven't seen it myself but uh, uh, <laughs> yeah for, for much the same reasons I don't really want to watch a two and a half hour very very slow depressing uh, piece of content about something inexorably in decline if I wanted to watch that I'd watch the Everton season review DVD. there we go oh. there we go right here it is here it is how dare you three stars. my beloved Everton <laughs> name three players uh, there's the toffee, no, the blue. I've got nothing. Precisely. Joe. Joe, Bob, Jeff. and Kevin. Is there a Kevin? There was a Kevin. Yes! Keegan. 
Sheedy. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, anyway, three stars then for Vortex. And finally this week, we have The Quiet Girl, Jimbo. We do. It's uh, sort of to follow on from Vortex in the Megalol's double bill stakes. <laughs> uh, so this one is the debut film from Colm Barad. Uh, and it stars the absolutely excellent... Catherine Clinch as a young girl called Kate who lives in rural Ireland in 1981 although quite frankly it could be 1981 it could be 1931 it's really kind of hard to say uh, because it's you know it's it's a very sort of bucolic existence it's all cows and mud and fields and farms it's not heavily tech related but she lives with her family and is not abused but is thoroughly neglected like she is ignored she has shown no love whatsoever it's a house full of children the parents are very hard up the father is frankly a gambling feckless fool and the mother is rather heartless as well and you sense in a very unhappy marriage anyway so she is sent away for the summer to live with her mother's cousin Eileen and her husband Sean and she gets there and for the first time ever this girl is shown affection she has shown love she's given people listen to her and it's it's a little awkward at first Sean in particular I think has a, a lot of sort of ice around his heart which takes a little bit of time to melt but it's just this beautiful thing of this girl who has never really known love understanding what it is to be loved and it's absolutely heartbreaking. This had me in floods of tears pretty much all the way through it. It's just, it's such a beautiful film. It is really mindfully shot. It's very slow, like the the sort of the little sound of a ladle going into water. Uh, There's a slightly sort of plinky-plonky ethereal score from from Stephen Rennix, who did the score for Normal People. And and she herself, obviously it's called A Quiet Girl, but she's a very softly spoken actress. And she speaks very sparingly. There are huge patches of silence in this. And obviously when there isn't silence, it's worth noting, this is an Irish language film. Mm. It's predominantly Irish language, there's some English in it. It's a predominantly Irish language film. And it is just this wonderful study of, I think, partly what it means to open up because she is opening up to adults for the first time who are treating her in an affectionate way. And then the two adults, not to, to spoil any plot points, but they have some tragedy in their past and she is helping to heal them as well. Um, and it just, I think it speaks to a very, not not subtext laden, but a very deeply kind of almost mindful, emotional form of f- uh, filmmaking. And the fact that kind of taps into this idea that the damage that parents can do to children without knowing that they're doing it. Like you don't need to beat a child to harm a child through neglect. Like this is a child who has just been starved of affection, starved of love. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a very, very, very sad film, but it's also a really lovely one. Um, and I should let John talk about it because John wrote our review and he wrote a lovely review of this as well. Oh, Thank you very much. Well, yeah, I I loved it as well. I thought it was really beautifully done. And um, what was what really struck me, apart from anything else, was just hearing the Irish language, which which you don't a lot, which you don't a lot. I mean, this I think before this film, there was literally a handful of films like entirely yeah. in the Irish language. So it's Maybe a handful of films than, and my Siri, and that's basically and, it. and your Siri, like less than ten. It's it's a very underrepresented language on screen and it's actually just beautiful to hear it it's very lyrical and i think there's a very specific dialect of a uh, specific part of like southwest ireland that um it's written in and it, it just it's lovely and so yeah when you hear it it's very sparingly like mm. you say the dialogue you know is, is it's not a very dialogue heavy film not at all but it's um it's just so beautifully done and very empathetic to its characters uh, it really cares about it it's adapted from a a short story, I think, by Claire Keegan. But um, yeah, I, I loved it. And I, I, I think, you know, this is a, a debut film from uh, Colm uh, Berard and I'd love to see what he 
comes up with next, really. Mm, and what Catherine Clinch ends up doing next, because like, I think I sense bright things in the future for her, yeah. because it's, it's such a soulful performance, it's beautiful. All right, can't wait to see it. Yeah, sounds yeah. great. Chucky Arla. It's good. Series has four stars. You're going to be in trouble now. What have I done? What have I done? It's weird having two English people explain explain the Irish film to Irish people. You two. And you two aren't here, Uh, but they will be soon. Soon enough. Bono will be banging through that door any second any now. Second. I see what you did Any there. second now. He may be even on your phone. He might be. He's lurking there. Maybe that's him. <laughs> Maybe he's been doing Siri. Uh, four stars then for The Quiet Girl. And that is it. On that note, that is it for this week's exhaustive and exhausting Empire podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by either... Miles Teller or Glenn Powell, stars of Top Gun Maverick. Uh, One will be next week, the the other one will be the week after. And we'll also be joined by Judd Apatow, who has an excellent new documentary on George Carlin. Hooray. uh, Which is well worth your time. But anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye for my, here he goes, it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning, John Nugent. Goodbye. Goodbye, John Nugent. It is goodbye from James Dyer and his best friend in the whole wide world, Irish Siri. Say goodbye, Siri. That may be beyond my abilities at the moment. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Please, I've done everything you've asked. <laughs> let me go. Please let me go. <laughs> I have a family. <laughs> I don't know how you would trap my spirit in this phone anyway, but please, I'm begging you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who the hell is that? Who the hell is that? Uh, It's goodbye from Helen (laughs) O'Hara. Toodaloo. What is happening? (laughs) Is that Gaelic? (laughs) Yeah, yeah it is, yeah. What's it stand for? It means goodbye in Gaelic. (laughs) means I've been this podcast for two and a half hours and busty for a piss. Siri, what's goodbye in Irish? Oh. I can't translate into Irish yet. But you are Irish! The worst. Wow. It's awful. Not all Irish people speak Irish. Well, this one doesn't. I don't speak yeah. Irish. Do you speak Irish? No. I had the choice of Irish or Spanish, and I went with the one that would have better school trips. Si, si, barone. Anyways, goodbye from me as well. I'm off to stand outside Wembley. Uh, walk down Wembley Way with two tickets for the FA Cup final nestling in my pocket. Aren't I? Hmm? Yes? Listeners at home? Good Lord. Wow. Just you watch. Just you watch. On TV. Sadly. Up the Reds. (laughs) Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.